0: So, John, what is the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you while camping?
1: Well, I mean, it'd be hard to top that time... I got too drunk to pitch a tent at your family's house and inadvertently flashed your sister. Yeah, that's that. that, you, that you must have known that we, that was going to come up. That's when. that's
0: a one. Yeah, I wasn't sure yeah. which one you'd pick. I've been involved it, in many of these stories. True. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I'd be concerned if that wasn't the worst. I think that I think that's the worst one. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it was. We were driving up for your. It wasn't a wedding. It was just a trip to Wales, wasn't it?
0: I think it was my brother's thirtieth. Your brother's thirtieth.
1: That was it. So your brother's thirtieth birthday. Uh, Harry, if you don't know, has his family have a, a little bit of land in Wales. It's very nice. Very very stereotypically welsh countryside Mm -hmm. with sheep on the fields and we drove up and you were driving weren't you and a bunch of our friends who are terrible influencers got well got me not you you weren't drunk you were driving but got me very (laughs) very very drunk on the drive up they would have liked
0: to have got me drunk too eh? yeah if they could have got got
1: away with it they would have done so it
0: was awful it was a four-hour drive and i've got three people who were all completely wrecked they finished off a bottle of champagne before you even left leeds They also oh, finished off most of a crate of beer and I think a whole bottle of whiskey. It mm. was rough. Mm. I remember I remember, guessing, <laughs> I remember getting
1: out of the car because I felt fine. I was like, having a great time. I was like, oh, it's nice to be drinking on a road trip. How much fun? And we, I remember about an hour before we got to Wales, we stopped at like, a service station. And I remember specifically stepping out of the car and just going, oh, fuck. Like just the <laughs> realising how drunk I was. And after that, there was just no going back. So. No.
0: <laughs> it didn't stop him. I mean, no. Somebody else in the car threw a shoe at my head while I was driving on the motorway. <laughs> <laughs> the shoe then landed in the steering wheel. <laughs> None of this was great, was good at all. Dear me. Yeah, man. it was a bit rough. Well, Just we,
2: goes to show you the Canadian in me is uh, telling all listeners: <laughs> alcohol and camping are never a good combination.
0: Mm. So, John, what happened to you in the field then?
1: Oh god, this is gonna be a long intro. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of so those. Ones. Short version: We arrived in Wales. I was immediately passed out by the fire. Uh, well, passed out in numerous places, uh, <laughs> one of which being the fire. One of which being leaning against a tree uh, with my pants around my ankles because I fell asleep <laughs> while peeing. Um, <laughs> eventually, Harry made the the good point that I was far too drunk to possibly be expected to put a tent up. So he petitioned his family to let me sleep on the sofa for the first night, which they did. So I kind of staggered into the living room, got on the sofa, and. Uh, You're just starting it. to make this sound
0: like this was my fault. I don't remember offering that sofa to you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I ended up on the sofa, put a, blank, put a blanket around myself, and um yeah went to sleep. but um see, the problem is that i um I sleep naked and like you know instinct kicks in so even though I was in you know, someone else's house and using a blanket that was not my own instinct just kicked in and I just kind of became nude um, so, <laughs> and then his sister who I've met all of like five or six times came in to check on me and realised that the blanket I had wrapped myself in was actually her, art, her school art project,
0: textiles project. her textiles yeah, project, project. Can, like it, it got her an A star in GCSE well I'm glad yeah. <laughs> how old was your sister
2: at this point mid 20s oh yeah it, it uh, a, okay. yeah it wasn't a current project it wasn't, it wasn't okay it wasn't that could have been a, a child who yeah, no, that. No, <laughs> it's not <laughs> that bad it's not that bad yeah.
1: but so she uh, tried to gently remove the, uh, the, the the project from my person and um, got an eye full of more than she bargained for and uh, <laughs> <laughs> didn't really speak to me for the rest of the weekend <laughs> Yeah, I'm a great, great house guest. It's
0: never been forgotten in the chapel family. No, I'm sure it's gone
1: down in chapel history. They, I've been back since, and it's always mentioned. It's like they're always on the, There's always an eye out for what, what I'm going to get into next. But. Yeah, my
0: parents love you very much, but they, they love you mainly just for the, the the different scrapes that you get yourself into. Yeah. I'm <laughs> a wild card. <laughs> Keep things adjusted. Not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> Make some good stories. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: So Welcome everybody to Beyond the Set, the podcast where today we are pitching prequels, sequels and spin-offs to Moonrise Kingdom. We'll also be pitching some drinking games and hearing from our listeners with the submissions they've put on our social media pages. Uh, but first we're going to talk through some of our favourite moments and give a bit of a plot summary. I'm Harry, the host with the most wildlife experience.
1: I think that's it, without without question true,
0: yes. (laughs) I'm joined today by Finn Ross-Russell, hello. Hiya. Uh, The guest with the best chances of survival in the wild. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> and joining me as always, the co host who couldn't pitch a pop up tent if he tried really hard. It's John Lucas. I have tried
1: on, on many occasions <laughs> and never succeeded. <laughs> yes.
0: They pitch themselves, John, that's the point.
1: <laughs> well, they they always pitch themselves when you kind of get actually professing and get friends to do it, which is what I always do. So. <laughs> oh,
2: the key yes. is to just keep the instructions on hand. Mm. Once mm. you do that fairly simple from that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm going <laughs> all Canadian here, this is terrible. Don't,
0: don't, don't try and explain to John how to pitch a tent, you'll be okay. here all day. No, okay. No. We've got an episode to do. Just go okay. in one ear out the other yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Finn is one of our Patreon uh, supporters, so yes. thank, thank you for that, Finn. You're proud. You're, uh, proud of it. And uh, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you, good to be here. Yeah, yeah. so... about yourself you've got a podcast haven't
2: you yeah i do uh so i'm finn i uh, run a company called island life productions up in edinburgh we have done lots of different bits and pieces we've done some theater some film uh but currently because money is tight and because it's way easier to do we're branching out into audio bits and pieces um and john and harry have been really helpful in giving bits of information and giving advice and just generally being an inspiration for for podcasters out there, which is why I uh, became a Patreon member. Um, But yes, I have a podcast called Passport People, in Mm -hmm. which I talk uh, to people about the places that matter to them. So it can be where they're from, where they live, where their family's from, all types of different things. Uh, We have a full season one that you can check out on all good podcasting platforms, and um, season two coming in March, and then I'm also currently working with a group of actors and theatre people in Edinburgh to put a fiction podcast together. Which right. uh, I'll save. I'll save information about till the plugging point because I've already done too much plugging at the beginning. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> got to got
2: to hold back on the plug. Lots to plug. <laughs> that
0: does sound very exciting. Yeah. yeah, lots going on. Never cool, adult, so right? you've brought Mira's Kingdom to us I today. have, yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this one. John, what do you think?
1: Oh, no, I I really enjoyed this. This is my first time watching this film. Um, I, I, I like Wes Anderson films quite a lot, but I've not seen all of them. We did Royal Tenenbaum's last year, I believe. I think so. Yeah. I, it was yeah. also the first time I'd seen that.
2: This is only the second Wes Anderson film we're bringing to the show.
1: Yes, it's you're right. Very we have exciting. Yeah, we haven't. We did Isle of Dogs on the bonus show. We reviewed it, but mm. we've not ever. Done a sequel to it yet? And then, yeah, we haven't got rounds of Grand Budapest yet. So, uh, but I'm sure we'll get around to a lot of them in, in due time. Yeah. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. this. This is very Wes Anderson. Oh yeah, this this made me think it's like this is like the Royal Tenenbaums mixed with the Goonies, which is <laughs> it's a combination I never thought I needed, but I like it. <laughs> did not see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> so, what about you? Why did you choose to bring this film to us?
2: Um, it's interesting. I speak to a lot of people who are older than me who have seen this film who uh go to me and they say isn't this film a little bit creepy that mm. this sort of adult director is getting these kids to you know kiss on screen and mm-hmm. that this is what the base of the film is about but the thing is for me when i when this film came out in 2012 i was 15 mm-hmm. and so it's that classic thing of seeing a coming of age film that you connect with mm-hmm. at the point at which you are coming of age mm-hmm. and just being able to see yourself a lot in the different elements of of those two main characters and you know me I'm a I'm a pretty romantic guy I love you know I love a good love story and this film for me is a perfect combination of those two mixed with Wes Anderson's amazing ability to see films and to make everything seem colorful and bright and wonderful and magical um and brilliant brilliant acting all around not just from the usual suspects the Bill Murray the Tilda Swinton the uh <laughs> Bruce Willis, mm. but also um, the the two kids who are, I think are just brilliant. Oh, they make
1: it. I think it, it, if they don't, if those kids weren't, because you know I, I I'm very hit or miss with child actors. Sometimes they, I find them insufferable. Sometimes I really like them. But if if these didn't work, if the, the tone wasn't right, it would it could a, be creepy. Like I said, it could come off as a bit like what's that Brooke Shields film, The Blue. Lagoon or something. It could see. It could could come off a little bit. Yeah, you know, inappropriate. Or it could just be insufferably annoying. You need yeah. the kid, who, and these kids are just perfect. Like they are such good finds. The two mm. of them. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and they fit they fit perfectly into his style as yeah. well, which I think is very tricky. I, As much as I like... I love Wes Anderson. Mm. As much as I like to imagine that anybody can just slot into that style, mm-hmm. mm. I think you don't want somebody who's going to take everything too seriously. I think mm. that's the reason somebody like Bill Murray and Owen Wilson have always been perfect for his films, is because they've gotten the vision, and they've gotten the story and they understand that they are a part of everything that's going on around them mm. as opposed to a film where it's very much about the acting performances. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, everyone's, like a lot happens in this film. Like there's a lot of incidents, you know, it's quite dramatic. I mean, literally it ends, spoiler alert, with, you know, a, a lightning striking a church and them hanging for <laughs> But despite all of that, like it feels like it's very, quite deadpan, which is often the case with his films. The, the, the characters are, never go above a certain level of, you know, energy which i think works really mm. well because it just it's, it's a very wes anderson-y like feeling that it, it makes them very unique to him but i think it makes the kids it, i think it improves the kids performances in many mm. ways because it, it doesn't push them beyond their, their, their limits i guess
2: yeah i, I mean was... you can easily see edward norton's character mm. being completely ruined and just completely over dramatic yeah but again he gets he gets it perfectly because again i think he gets the vision of mm. what of what wes anderson wants and That's the reason I I get so annoyed about how undervalued he is in the film industry Mm. in general. When Grand Budapest Hotel won, I think, the five or six technical Oscars that it won, every single person who got up and made their speech, whether it was the costume, the production design, the the score, Mm. the first thing that all of them did, rather than thank the normal people who they could thank, their parents and their Mm -hmm. significant others, they thanked Wes Mm. and... Someday, I think he will win an Oscar and he will yeah. get recognized for it. And I was really annoyed this didn't get more attention than it mm. did. But for now, I I'm part of the Wes Anderson needs more attention brigade, yeah. <laughs> and we'll continue to wave that flag on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think his time will come definitely. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's, sometimes it's very. E- I think a lot of people find it very easy to just go, "Oh, well, he's just quirky." Yeah, and and then that as if as if, and there's nothing underneath it. It's just. But actually, it, I think there, there's a real emotional core to this film. It's not just. Like maybe even more so than stuff like Tenenbaums, like it it's got a real heart to it. I really rooted for the kids and like mm. I really believed in them. And you know, even though there were certain elements that you know, if you really took a step back, you might feel, well, you know, with them getting married again in any other kind of director doing that, it would just seem silly. But mm. it would, it, you actually genuinely believe in them and you think, yeah, these these, these crazy kids might just make it. You know, mm. so. <laughs> yeah. You imagine seamanship? yeah sure Good. There's a cold water crab or off broken rock. The skipper owes me
2: an I O U. We'll see if he can take you on as a claw cracker. Won't be an easy life, but it's better than shock therapy.
3: Thank you, sir. By the way, where's the chapel test?
2: Back there. At the Padre is home with the mumps. Why do you
1: ask?
0: I want to bring my wife. But we're not married yet.
1: You his girl? Yes. Yeah. Technically,
2: I'm a civil law scrivener, I'm authorized to declare births, deaths, and marriages. You're kinda of young. You got a license. Yeah. Yeah can't offer you a legally binding union. It won't hold up in the state, the county, or frankly any courtroom in the world due to your age, lack of a license, and failure to get parental consent. But the ritual does carry a very important moral weight within yourselves. You can't enter into this lightly. Look into my eyes. Do you love each other? Yes, we do. But, but think about what I'm saying. Are you sure you're ready for this? Yes,
0: we are.
1: Okay, they're not listening to me. Let me rephrase it.
0: Oh, we're in a hurry.
1: Are you chewing? Spit out the gum, sister. Um, should we do a little plot summary then I guess Finn this is for you to uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to, whisk, to go in through. Yeah. see
2: this was a, this was the one bit that I actually didn't write down because I think it's better uh, not too, well though. yeah I, I was kind of like from listening to podcasts I always enjoy it when it's more of a sort of we're trying to remember exactly how this was yeah, yeah, to get there. Yeah. So, I think it's safe to say, although there's a sort of Benjamin Britten orchestra bit Mm. at the beginning, I think the film really starts at uh, Camp Ivanhoe, Mm -hmm. which is a camp on the fictional island, I believe, Mm. of New Penzance, which is supposedly somewhere off New England, I think, so sort of Western Atlantic sort of
1: area. but again, it's very classic. So it's, it's, it's I feel like that's kind of a classic Wes Anderson thing. I've, I've noticed a lot of his films that I've seen, like *Royal Tenenbaums*. It's not on a, a literal island, but it's, the it's a very self enclosed space where the characters it is. don't really integrate with the outside world very much. It's its, oh, its yeah. own little world in itself. He, and
2: he, I think, he made this film like that. You, the first one of the first shots of the film you see is this map mm. of New Penzance Island and then Saint Jack, which is either one of the larger islands or. Mm. A bit of the mainland, it's never made entirely clear. Mm. But it's very clear with the way he's designed this map and put all the details into bits that we never actually explore in the film. Mm-hmm. This, I think, was probably a dream for him to make because mm. he literally created this space mm. where, as far as he was concerned, anything goes. Yeah.
1: I was amazed, at like, reading up about some the, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff, just the level of how much he created, even down to the books that Susie reads. I assumed they were just... Classic children's books, but yeah. Yeah, he he made them up. Like yeah. he, they're all just things he's created. There's nothing that he's taken from the outside world. It's all his vision, which is amazing.
2: Yeah, mm. which which I sh- I should also flag is something that he's definitely developed mm. over time. Because I mean, a few weeks ago I watched Steve Zuzu. I sort mm. of rewatched it, and that was again very clearly a case of he's just come off Royal Tenenbaums and the producer has said right here's more money go and do this Mm. and as much as I love Wes Anderson I think Steve Zuzu is probably my least favourite Wes Anderson film because there's not there's not as much emotional connection and I Mm. think he he came out of that experience and realised that there were things that he needed to to tweak and to change and to expand on and develop and I think Mm. Moonrise Kingdom is the first time that you see Wes Anderson's pure, unadulterated vision mixed with high-quality production budget and costume Mm. and score and seeing Mm. the way it all comes together. But anyway, this is getting off track for the (laughs) plot summary. So they're they're on the island. They're (laughs) on the island. uh, We're at Camp Ivanhoe. This is Mm. sort of where we uh, are introduced for everything. And we are introduced to Edward Norton, who Mm -hmm. is the the leader of this scout
1: troop. First thing I noticed, sorry, um, was that uh, there are some people who do not suit shorts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Edward Norton should never wear shorts. Like, it really tickled me as skinny little chicken legs in those shorts. Just, I could not take my eyes off them. Like. There was
2: a lot of great short action.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was. I'm yeah. sure we'll
2: come on to this with drinking Yeah, it, I'm sure. Yeah, one, yeah. But... Great short mm,
1: action.
0: Yeah. Um, so he he's leading this sort of... A troop, the scout troop. I love his opening scene where he's just walking through the camp and just kind of ignoring, but kind of noticing all these massive health and safety issues. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: I mean, we, again, we'll get on to this later. I mean, as somebody whose you know job it is is to look after the welfare of young people, mm-hmm. I look at Edward Norton's character and go... What on earth are you doing? <laughs> this is this is horrendous childcare that you are allowing that you're even vaguely allowing any of this to happen. Um, but anyway, and, and actually this is funny because basically the first thing that happens in this film is that he notices that one of his scouts is mm. is gone. Mm-hmm. Now again, I've I'm again as I've already stated, I'm part Canadian. I've been to these sort of classic North American, you know, summer camp in the wilderness mm-hmm. type things. And the idea that a kid can just leave their tent and somehow unsupervised with nobody knowing could just sneak out in the middle of an island covered in but
0: all sorts of stuff. He planned it. He sure shanked his I way out I was just saying. I love that he sure shanked his way out the island. <laughs> <laughs> <But, but>, <laughs>
2: But yeah, it's just it's again my my health and safety hat is very firmly (laughs) on with that bit. So they learn that this scout has escaped. Mm -hmm. They immediately inform the police, who sets out to investigate the situation and
0: goes Mm -hmm. all over the island.
1: The police being the police officer being Bruce Willis. Being Bruce Willis, yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: in what I believe is his last role as an actor. Who cares? (laughs)
1: Yeah, <laughs> he was giving me like a lot of Sam Rockwell energy in this. He was yeah. I could really imagine yeah. Sam Rockwell playing this role, like that, that harried law enforcement guy. Yeah. But yeah.
2: <laughs> but Bruce, Will- I think what Bruce Willis adds to this role as well is he's slightly older, mm-hmm. which again, it's nice. It gives this sort of like fatherly figure, but like much older fatherly figure. Yeah. Like you expect him to be one of these sort of wise characters that knows a lot about the world and has all mm-hmm. this sage advice. And then actually, he's not that, mm. and that contrasts nicely with with Sam, who is this very um, mature sort of adolescent. Yeah, and well, mm, that dynamic goes sure. nicely together. Well, because he
1: has his own uh, little. I, I think the difference between like the, the the contrast, like between the child relationship in the film, and also like the Bill Murray and Francis McDormand character, characters, who are this older, these older parents again. And I think again, the, the more being old, a little older than you might expect, like it adds that little tinge of. Like sadness and disappointment, where they're like, you know, they're not, none of them are particularly happy with where they are in their lives, and they're mm. all kind of like living with a lot of regret and disappointments. And so that, that made I think, you're right. That, that especially the relationship between him and Francis McDormand, it made it just that little bit more bittersweet because they're that little bit older than, say, if they were in their thirties or forties necessarily. So yeah, yeah.
2: no, I, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. So anyway, as part of uh, Bruce Willis's investigation, mm-hmm. he goes and finds uh, this couple mm-hmm. and asks if they've uh, seen this boy. Um, their their relationship, the Francis McDormand Bill Murray relationship, is quite funny because they're both they're both lawyers, yeah, and they both take being lawyers into absolutely everything <laughs> yeah. that they do, yeah. um, which must get so annoying. I mean, I, I know plenty of lawyers, and none of them do that. Yeah, but if they did do that, ah, oh, it, it would be the end of my relationship with them very yeah. quickly. I think you can
1: understand why the relationships with their children are not great. So. <laughs> I don't think they're like gold star parenting, right? Yeah, mm. and
2: again, talk mm. about the bad, bad childcare. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll get more onto that later.
0: Camp Ivanhoe—that's all the way across the other side of the island. You really think a twelve-year-old boy could row this far in a miniature canoe? Most likely not.
3: It is possible, counselor.
0: I disagree, counselor. It would take him three days at least. I don't think so. Two well, I'm not going to argue about it. Mm. Be that as it may, will will let me know if you see anything
2: unusual. No. So that happens. We eventually are brought over to where Sam is, who's mm. the boy who's, who's run away. Oh, yes, there's another thing we learn uh, during Bruce Willis's investigation. He calls Sam's foster parents. Oh, yes. As a matter of precaution. Except Bruce Willis doesn't know that these parents are foster parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just assumes they're normal parents. So when he rings them up, um, he's greeted with the response... Yes, and we'd like to let you know that we can't let him
1: back. Yeah. So that is that was real brutal. I like, that, that really felt for the kid in that scene. I mean, so harsh. that can't be, possibly seemed, yeah. be something no, yeah.
2: that a foster parent is allowed to do. Mm, yeah. I don't know how it worked in the sixties in America, but that foster parents, you know, it, it can't possibly be a sort of optional. Yeah. Do you want to like? Do you <laughs> want a return policy? Yeah. Within twenty-eight days, yeah, <laughs> money back. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Yeah. Particularly
2: because it sounds like they'd he'd been with that family for quite a long time anyway. Yeah. Oh, mm. But then also, when do you think that this was set? The film Nineteen like, sixty four. Yeah. Oh, did it say? Yeah, yeah, uh, oh, right. oh, okay. sorry. This is the kind of thing I noticed having seen this film for the tenth time. But oh, no,
0: i just the... assumed that this film was one of those films that could be set anytime. Yeah, yeah, sure. Nothing. Really dates it as like, yeah, no, states. no, I think, I think it's a Neuer's
2: fladdle poster that really yeah. does it, to be honest. Mm. Other than
1: that, and some of the music, and perhaps maybe like they listen to a lot of French, like 60s, new, which they could still listen to any anytime, but yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I like that, uh, not only does Bruce Willis not know that the kid is, uh, an orphan. Also, Edward Norton does not know, and then he's completely befuddled by this. And then they're like, "Well, we we explained it in the letter," and then he just picks up this pile of unopened letters. And again, we see insight into what a terrible, terrible camp leader. Yeah. Is. Like, doesn't open any mail. But
0: but also like he he does know that uh, that Sam is the least popular. Yes. Um, by quite a, by quite a margin. Yeah. And literally everybody else, including little young Lucas Hedges. Oh, baby Lucas Hedges. Um, yeah. He also like. Everybody knows that he's an orphan. Yeah. All the all the scouts know that he's an orphan. Yeah. And they say it to him all the time. Yeah. He's just so, not taking it in. Yeah. So Sweat so, so Norton has managed to not take that in, but <laughs> has managed to <laughs> take in that he's not popular. Yeah. Like oh, the boys just must just be being mean to him. Yeah. It's calling him an orphan, calling yeah. him names. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so anyway, we meet Sam, who's in a canoe, mm-hmm. and then hides the canoe, and then comes into a meadow where he meets Susie who is the uh, girl that we see towards the beginning and who is also the daughter of Bill Murray and Frances McDormand. Mm -hmm. We we don't know anything about this character up till now, so these two uh, characters meeting in this meadow are sort of the beginning of us clocking that something is going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And immediately we're given a flashback to a year earlier when uh, there was a performance of Neuer's Floodle, which mm-hmm. is Benjamin Britten's famous opera about Noah's Ark and mm-hmm. Genesis and The Flood and all that jazz, mm-hmm. in which... And all that jazz. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different musical, Harrison. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: in which uh, Sam is an audience member, Mm -hmm. Uh, who gets curious and leaves the seat. Again, bad scouts (laughs) supervision. This kid who I assume is like 11 or 12 has just gotten out of his seat during a performance and has left the church. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we're not concerned at all about where he might have gone. <laughs> we're just like, nah, okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he he ends up going below below the church is where this all seems to happen, which is sort of the backstage area.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And again, I, I question the supervision in this film, because <laughs> then finds his way into the girl's dressing room. Mm. Fortun- fortunately, they're all, like, clothes and mm-hmm. there and, you know, mm. ready. And he... Just sort of starts making conversation with them and particularly takes an interest in uh, the Raven, Mm -hmm. who we learn's name is Susie, who is the girl who Mm -hmm. we have just met in the meadow a second ago. And it then goes on to transpire that she gave him her address and they exchanged letters Mm -hmm. for the subsequent year as we come to learn and that they uh, are planning to run away together, which is
0: what they are doing mm-hmm. yeah. at this point. And she a, has... It's a classic sort of 12-year-old thing to do. Hey, let's run kind away of together. And... <laughs> yeah.
1: I love how impractically she had packed for this trip. Oh, <laughs> it was incredible. We'll get to this, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: When, when, when she reveals that she's got a suitcase and it's just full of books, I'd be like, if I was him, I'd be like, I am, I am done with that. I'm going the other way. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, I've, I've been lugging that up and down cliffs for you and it's just full of books. <laughs> Reading his the books. Mantle. The kitchen. Mm-hmm. She didn't bring any clothes.
1: That's true, yeah. She
0: did, she did bring <laughs> an
1: incredibly quiet and well-behaved cat. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Who's way less annoying than the cats I know. Yeah, yeah. It's like a sound. I mean.
1: So, I'm trying to think the order of which this happens. Mm. So... So they they, they, yeah, so they run away, don't they? And then there's, there's kind of a long sequence. About, about a third of the film is basically just them having... Just getting to know each other—it's it's the, the, the very sweet little romance is playing mm. out. You know, he's very a very good scout. He's very practical, and she's mm. she's kind of just follows what he says and kind of goes. I enjoyed the fact that there was not a lot of conflict between them. Like, there's one brief moment when she reveals that the reason that she doesn't have a good relationship with her parents is that she—or one of the many reasons—she found a book under her mum's bed that was called "How to Deal with Troubled Children." and uh in fair, it was about her obviously and he laughs at that he finds that funny and she it takes offense to that and then they have a brief spat but it immediately resolves itself because they just but they just really believe in each other so much mm. like so he, he immediately apologizes and he says i'm on your side and she says i know and that's mm. it like i just love all of the conversations they had like when they're writing letters as well like they're very wise they give each other really good advice mm. about like how to deal with their various you know problems and I just I really liked the it didn't it didn't feel it was it managed to not feel precocious like too precocious though it felt like they weren't being wise beyond their years particularly a little bit but they were talking in very straightforward ways they just Mm. happened to have this real strong connection and they really really like needed each other and that's why I I thought it was quite quite a believable relationship in many ways Mm. even though it was obviously a bit heightened but yeah Yeah,
2: absolutely I mean I I think
1: as you get older relationships just get
2: more and more complicated Mm -hmm and you know things things matter and it you know becomes you know relationships start becoming this thing of like scores you need to settle and things you need to prove and it's as much of a conversation about yourself as it is about whoever you're with in a relationship whereas the sweet innocence of the way that this relationship is built is that actually there's there's none of that this is just two people who really care about each other who don't really know anything who haven't been sort of complicated by the effects of sort of what happens as you get older and these things just Mm. get way deeper than, you know, Mm. ooh, I like you, ooh, you like me. And that's
1: why, I mean, skipping ahead a little bit, that's why personally I didn't really have a problem with the more... It's not a sex scene, but with the scene of them French kissing and, you know, getting undressed and stuff, because it did feel... Strangely innocent, like it was. Like it was just these kids who were exploring their bodies and yeah, it themselves. Just
0: looked loads like, hey, we've seen this in movies. Yeah, like, we're gonna try. put your head to one side. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. They. It, it didn't feel like they were actually gonna like sleep together. Right? It felt like they were just, mm. you know, they were just taking little baby steps and exploring. Exactly, you
2: know? exactly. Which again, I, I must stress, saw this film when I was fifteen. I really connected into that mm. because that was exactly the experience that I had had of, mm-hmm. of those sorts of things going on. You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't really know what you're doing and you're kind of scared about, you know, is this tiny little thing you do going to completely ruin everything? Mm-hmm. And you're kind of going off, you know, well, in my case, Disney films, but, you know, in the case <laughs> of of these kids, you know, what they read in books and what they heard mm-hmm. of. And there's something, there's something really nice about being able to, go into that that Mm -hmm. part of you and acknowledge that this is a perfectly real Mm -hmm. part of existence and and yeah it might have been a little bit awkward to to film Mm -hmm. but i also could have imagined that they would have they would have been very careful about the way that they broached the subject of Mm -hmm. that sort of thing with the two actors and making sure that they were okay with it and they were happy. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would, I would like to think state. so, definitely,
1: yeah. One of my favourite, maybe my favourite lines in the film, actually, uh, just because I found it really sweet, was when he said, in, in this kind of sec- sequence of the film, he says, um, I might wet the bed, just so you know. Like, and she's yeah. just, she's like, okay. <laughs> 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 it was just so sweet, again, because that really pulls it back to, oh, they are children. Yeah. Are you
2: yeah. It's, it's that perfect sort of balancing act in between yeah,
1: yeah. of, you you deserve
2: to be taken seriously, mm. but there's also an acknowledgement that you have a lot to learn and develop and, mm. and understand about yeah. the world. Uh, anyway, so they're on their they're on their journey. Meanwhile, the investigation is going on, spearheaded by Bruce Willen, Bruce Willis. Bruce <laughs> <Willen>. <laughs> I'm thinking of Edward Norton. Yeah. So <laughs> it's Bruce Willen, uh, Bruce Willis, and Edward Norton with the scout troop who have all decided that. If they find Sam, they're going to get really violent.
1: You know, <laughs> Disturbingly violent. we still
2: don't understand.
1: When they pull out all the weapons, like the, nail, the rusty yeah. like nails in the club and like the, the actual bow and arrow, which yeah. of course ends yeah. up killing Snoopy, which is, you know, a bit of, Wes Anderson. <laughs> Poor Snoopy. A, bit of a Wes Anderson theme of notes is dead dogs. Because like, the, 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 mm. do, the dog dies in Real Tenenbaums as well, doesn't it? little Barkley. And then, does
0: anyone die in Isle of
1: Dogs or...? Mm. Because no, someone
0: it. must die, and I love dogs. I mean, it's the most do- dogs do. It's the, it's the most kid friendly that I've seen. Yeah, Is there's the a bit of... when
1: you when you think the dog, the dogs have all died, and then it turns out like they've not. But, yeah, yeah. But mm. he he does. He either loves dogs or hates them. I can't tell. Mm. But so he definitely likes <laughs> to kill them off.
2: <laughs> I think one of the things he acknowledges. I mean, again, I I had a dog mm-hmm. growing up, and you know, anybody who has a dog when they're a kid, by the time you become a young adult, that that dog probably dies. Yeah, and. I see it, I see this film as full of dramaturgical quirks, mm. you know, like the Genesis theme that's running out throughout mm. the whole thing. And this dead dog is another one those things where it's, it's very much the death of innocence. You mm. look at dogs when you're a kid and you think, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> and then you get older and, you know, you realise the responsibilities of taking care of it and looking after it and the extent to which, you know, particularly if you're... 18 and you want to go to university that you can't be responsible and then three four years later the dog will probably die and that that feels very sad that feels very horrible that's not the way this turns out in the film but Mm -hmm. as a sort of separate this this dog meets a much stickier end than that yeah yeah yeah. but so anyway so the the scout troop meets uh sam and susie they track them down yeah they track them down there's a sort of mexican standoff (laughs) type thing And then it's unclear exactly what happens because there's a very sort of quick montage. Yeah,
1: they cut away from the violence, which I like because it leaves all to imagine it. Because Susie constantly references that she has like rage issues, like she Mm. loses her temper and and but you never see her on do it on screen. It it cuts away, but uh, basically she stabs Lucas Hedges with a pair of scissors and (laughs) almost punches an artery. (laughs)
2: Yeah. So Lucas Hedges comes on like a motorcycle.
1: Yeah. Again, why does he have that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah
2: basically because this is the the, the, second at the beginning of the film it's like this is the second time you've been cycling recklessly it's like why was there a first time yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) but then I love so that they do yeah he cycles up and then there's a smash cutaway next thing we know he's been stabbed he's bleeding out all the other kids are running away in horror the motorbike is in a tree like (laughs) she's fully hulked out on him like she's gone wild like (laughs)
2: She's gotten the scissors out, and then somehow the dog came into this. I don't know yeah. where the dog was because the dog no. doesn't turn up in the initial standoff.
1: No, I can only assume that one of the kids fired an arrow at Susie and Sam. It missed them. The dog happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I don't think they meant to kill the dog, but yeah, no, they can't pass. Very you know, unfortunate you know, dog death. Damage. Very yeah, damage. Very
2: strange. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, so the kid
2: uh, goes along, goes uh, goes to hospital. Because mm-hmm. yeah. of course. By bleeding, boat. Yeah. Bleeding from the back. Yeah. <laughs> by boat, by seaplane. By seaplane, that was yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: That's probably the quickest way to get to hospital yeah, yeah. from the island. <laughs> so
2: they go by seaplane. There's a bit of a scuffle between uh, Bill Murray and Francis McDormand and Edward Norton on the pier. Mm-hmm. Uh, the narrator, who has been uh, popping up at various different points, warning that uh, from the beginning of the film that in three days' time there will be a flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's said to be a really big, massive flood, which again, as we'll learn, ties into the uh, Noah's flood mm. stuff that is also going on in the film. He turns up at this point and claims that he knows where they're going mm. because he taught Sam in the cartography accomplishment.
1: Yeah, button. this was very expositioning. It was yeah. like, let's let's move our chess pieces into the right place. Yeah, well, they
2: they kind of had to because this yeah. is the only this is the only way they eventually understand where they're going yeah which is a place called mile 3.25 title in yeah it's got a very bland name yeah or something like that which is basically this gorgeous looking cove private beach cove Mm. thing (laughs) yeah i mean all i was thinking about that is well if someone realized this was here they'd make a killing off of it yeah yeah
1: Just to go back for a second, when Frances McDormand and Bill Murray are talking to uh, Bruce Willis about, like, they realise their daughter has also gone missing. Frances McDormand, she finds the letters between the two kids. Oh,
2: yes, yes.
1: Which I, I, I enjoyed the way she just threw, threw away the line. There's some paintings, mostly landscapes, but some nudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, again, that's why, I mean, most actors in other films would play that, like, she'd be screaming it, be yeah. chewing stupid, but she just kind of says it so matter-of-fact, it makes mm. it even funnier. It's just, yeah. <laughs> and some nudes, <laughs> of my 12-year-old girl.
2: <laughs> mm. Yeah, but this is, I mean, again, this is what Wes Anderson does mm. so well in his directing style. Grand Budapest Hotel is full of these moments. Mm. Um, but anyway, so they're at, this, they're at this beach, they're, you know, having their experience diving into the... Water, getting to know each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Sam piercing Susie's ears.
1: Yes, yes, with the, <laughs> yeah. with the fish hooks. Which yeah. I've, yeah. I've
2: always found that a more disturbing scene than, than this, the, 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 the romantic, romantic sex stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. scene that comes later. It
1: is. It's because it's, then her, is it, the blood's going right down oh, her neck. It's, it's going horrible. right down
2: her neck. I mean, that could easily get infected. I was
1: thinking, yeah. That, I hope she got some shots when she got back <laughs> home. Like my God. <laughs>
2: They get found. They do, yeah. The next day, Mm -hmm. basically. (laughs) Doesn't take long, does it? Doesn't doesn't take long. Small (laughs) island, yeah. They get found. Uh, Susie gets brought back by Mm -hmm. Bill Murray and Francis McDormand. Sam gets brought back by the scout troop. Mm -hmm. But because he does not have a foster family to go to... Gets brought into the care of Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. who has agreed to take him. And this is where social services <laughs> come just, into play. I love that that is
0: just her name. That's her, her name. name,
1: yes! It's Tilda Swinton, uh, another Wes Anderson, uh, Star Wars. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I could talk for hours about her outfit. Like, what was what was that? <laughs> she was dressed like a, a traffic cone, almost. <laughs> I don't know how, like, these long purple, like, pantsuits with the, the top hat and the... Yeah, what so, no weird traffic cones have you
0: seen? I, 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 I mean, <laughs> not, purple ones, wearing hats. Maybe that's not the right thing. No, I mean, not a traffic cone. There.
1: she was. I don't know. She was dressed like. I, 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 I really can't figure it out. But it, she. she I, what? What? What did she look like? It was just odd to me. Like she definitely. She was, looked
0: like Tilda Swinton.
1: She looked, Yeah, she looked yeah. like Tilda Swinton. She was doing, doing a Tilda, Tilda Swinton Tilda bit, Tilda's yeah. fashion. Yeah. Yeah, it was very. I mean, she carried it off as she always does, but in yeah. very
0: sort
2: of like what I would imagine a sort of artistic trench ball. Yes. Aware.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Trunchbull's hipster sister. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs>
2: Well, cause, well, because it's interesting because I think there is an element of sort of Roald Dahl oh, weirdness yes. mm. that very much goes, and sort of Quentin Blake illustration that mm. goes into the way that mm. those characters well, are styled. Well, obviously
1: those two streams met when he did Fantastic Mr. Fox. So, yes, yeah.
2: yes, exactly. Mm.
1: So yes, I, I can well imagine that that was an influence, yeah. Mm.
2: But even the use of juvenile refuge, which mm. I've, I've never heard anybody use, no. <laughs> it's very much pictured out to be this... Thing of like, it's not an orphanage, it's even worse. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah, They really
1: ramp it up. Like, he's going to get, like, she's very casually cruel. This social. I think the fact that she doesn't have a name just is, it's obviously, I think it's meant to represent just how dehumanized her job Mm. is that she's not even a person anymore. Mm She literally is just social services, personified. And so she kind of very casually says, Oh, well, you know, he's been a troubled child for a while, so we probably can't put him in another home. We'll just have to give him electroshock therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it wasn't even him who stopped her. Different times. Different times, different different times. (laughs) Terrifying, (laughs) horrifying
0: times, yeah. What's going to happen to him?
3: Well,
2: normally we try to place him in another foster home, but that option's no longer available to us, in my opinion, due to his case history, which means he'll go to juvenile refuge. What does that mean? Is that an orphanage? Right, an orphanage. But the first step is the admissions panel requires a psychological evaluation to
0: determine whether or not the boy is a candidate for institutional treatment or
2: electroshock
3: therapy.
0: Excuse me, shock therapy? Why would that be called for? He's not violent. The report describes an assault with scissors. That That was was the the girl girl that did that.
2: Well, maybe she needs help too, but that's not our job. Okay. So... Sam, so the uh, no, it's it's the scout troop. Yes, the scout is troop is really in, the
1: next thing. Yeah, that in that in that terrifying tr- tree treehouse that we did. So, <laughs> <laughs> that, logic, that logic defying. How the hell did they construct that? How do they get up? How do they get down? Treehouse, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's on a toothpick. It's like, yeah. <laughs>
0: It's very Wes Anderson. It is very
1: Wes Anderson. You could say that about a lot of things, but yeah, it did make me laugh. Yeah, no, that that
2: would terrify me. Mm. The, the, the picture of like a bunch of 13 year olds going a, up to that treehouse. Yeah,
1: and again at the big go right back to the beginning when Ed Norton sees the treehouse, he's like, "That's not how you build a treehouse. Why did you build it so high up?" And it's like, "How quickly did they build it? Why are you, why are you just noticing this now?" <laughs> that would have taken weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the scout troops. So, yes, that's, they... a, that's a whole sequel idea. It's not my yeah. sequel idea, but, yeah, but... The, the, the Edward Norton backslide. <laughs> yeah. I did consider that, I <laughs> yeah. didn't go that route at the end, but that was definitely what I was considering.
0: What <laughs> is it? His... Norton, a health and safety lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 Uh, but yeah so the scout troop they kind
1: of take pity on they kind of have a apart from Lucas Hedges who understandably remains somewhat bitter having been stabbed <laughs> but the other, the other scouts having of, been stabbed yeah the others have a bit of a, a bit of a change of heart and they realise that they've treated him unfairly uh, Sam unfairly and they decide to help him out and rescue him and reunite him and Susie who have been separated yeah uh, yeah, so so they do. Mm-hmm.
2: They bring them to Saint Jack, which is either a larger island or the mainland. It's never it's never entirely made clear. Yeah, um, but it is where the sort of larger regional fort is. Where mm. they I don't remember that guy's name. Harvey Keitel,
1: <laughs> well, the scout leader. <laughs> no, but,
2: yeah, but the I mean the younger guy because oh. Harvey Keitel is that guy. Oh, sorry, yes, older
1: um, brother. Yeah, the, so yeah, they have a, one What's of the scouts has a cousin who is James. Oh, Jason Schwartzman, is it? Is the actor? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, He's just called Cousin Ed or Cousin Bill or something. Yeah. 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 Cousin Ben. Cousin Ben. That's that's it. Yeah. There we go. Mm -hmm.
2: Anyway, so they they find this guy Mm -hmm. who's running the supply and resource tent at Camp
1: Lebanon, which is the larger. Is he supposed to be like. Because Harvey Keitel's obviously running this camp. Is Cousin Ben supposed to be an Edward Norton style camp leader or another kid who's like inexplicably 35? I couldn't figure it out.
2: My my guess is that it's a bigger camp, therefore there's more need for various different bits and pieces. Okay. Therefore, they've got more money, therefore more resources
1: to have things like mm. a
2: supply and resources
1: mm. tent. Sure. Because if anything, he's even less responsible than Edward Norton. Oh, like, definitely. He, he literally gives these kids blessings to run away, ma- illegally marries them, and just <laughs> takes a bribe. And or, or, I guess gives the brides to the kids in the end. So, but still, like... And then... Takes them them to have a happy life as
0: people working
2: on a crab?
0: Yeah, he's going to work on a crab trawler, yeah. (laughs) I was a little confused by this whole camp. Mm. I think it kind of of lost me a bit. Mm. Just because before now, the film, had felt very small. Mm -hmm. Like they're just on an island of like maybe 12, 15 people. Sure. That's what it felt like. Mm. And then suddenly, oh no, there's, there's enough for not just... One scout camp, two scout camps, but <laughs> yeah. one is significantly bigger. Yeah. Like, well, the, like the mother scout camp. Where are all sort of. these children coming from? <laughs> well, are they yeah. from the mainland?
2: Like <laughs> where are they, where are they do they all live? Like, yeah. I don't know. Well, this is why it's never clear whether Saint Jack is mainland or yeah. it's a larger island. But I mm. can, from what I know about New England, which is I admit very limited, mm. I can totally imagine this is like, oh, are you a sort of New York City living kid? Mm. Well, us as a family will come out to this island and we'll send you to do this, and we'll go, you know, actually enjoy our time away from you Mm -hmm. type thing but i also i can imagine i mean i did outward bound i can imagine easily being a thing in which the larger camp is sort of like the center for people who don't want the sort of full isolation Mm -hmm. experience where i think i think they had cabins i'm not sure Mm -hmm. but uh, definitely camp ivanhoe would have been the smaller less connected less to do camp yeah uh, so so that might have been it. I don't know. Yeah, um, Probably not
1: worth digging too deep. No, too. exactly.
2: <laughs> anyway, so Susie leaves her binoculars in the chapel tent again.
1: Yeah, I know. It was a chapel tent. Yeah. <laughs> We've established that the binoculars are like very important to her. We constantly see her looking through them. They're her. Mag- she describes it as her magic power. Yeah, so,
2: yeah, so uh, Sam runs back to get them, mm-hmm. runs into... Lucas Hedges. Yes. (laughs) Injured. Injured on crutches, Lucas Hedges. (laughs) Who very impressively they get into an argument. As soon as Sam comes towards him, he just throws the crutch to the side as in this was all a look. He's all, yeah, he's ready (laughs) to fight,
1: yeah. And then does Sam just rip out his stitches? He certainly like starts smacking them really hard. I think Sam has his own violence. They're stuff. definitely both. I think there's a reason these two kids are drawn to each other. They definitely have <laughs> certain tendencies. Yeah. I'm
2: just saying that's got abusive relationship
1: and later sure. life. Well, it's never it. entirely clear whether Francis McDormand is or is not physically abusing Bill Murray because he's constantly having black eyes and like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he keeps saying, Oh, I fell over into a ditch or something. But yeah, it's, it's dark. Undertones there's definitely other here. sense that maybe the, this ra- bit of rage like runs through the whole, their whole family. <laughs> mm. Also, just to jump back a little bit, but we can't not talk about the um, the mannequin in the bed.
3: Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I can't oh, oh, I laughed.
1: <laughs> this nightmarish mannequin. So the scouts help Susie smuggle Susie out of her family home. They put a mannequin on, on, in her bed under a sheet to kind of, you know, avoid suspicion and then we see a scene of her little brother going into her room to ask for his record player back and then the it's like middle of the night lightning flashes the mannequin is on a rope he, he pulls the door open the mannequin sits up and it's just this absolute nightmare <laughs> and it's so i screamed with laughter at that moment i really did like, <laughs> no that was brilliant yeah.
2: uh what else so so the alarm gets raised yes back at camp lebanon Every, again, everyone at this camp supposedly stops whatever they're doing mm. to track down where Sam is, this yeah. guy who they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam gets chased onto a lightning field?
1: Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, well, the weird. storm is raging now, yeah.
2: I'm- yeah, sorry. So it started... Tipping it down. Yeah. The kids hide out at the church, which is mm. coincidentally also the... Well, he's
1: been struck by lightning, just to make it clear. Yes. I mean, he it doesn't, doesn't start really planning. matter. It's just a weird thing that happens, and then he's fine. Like. And then he's
0: just got an electric in him.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is obviously nice for the kiss at the end. but Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I fully thought, oh my God, this film's taking a twist. He's dead. Like, <laughs> not, he, he, I'm he, okay. In reality, he would have massive internal bleeding, probably. <laughs> but again, That's let's not image. dig into That's that. That's an here. image. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Also, going on at this point, the scouts are being rounded up to be brought to this church. Yeah. Harvey Keitel, who's the scout leader, mm-hmm. forgets his medicine in his tent. Edward mm. Norton, by this point, has turned up.
1: Been stripped of his, long overdue, been stripped of his scouts' uh, <laughs> credentials. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then kind of takes over, sort of de facto takes power, mm-hmm. uh, guides everyone to the church, including the. Well, he rescues scout Harvey leader. Keitel. Yeah. Who he's managed to save by jumping over this flooded river thing.
1: Oh, those two jumps. Those two jumps, man. They made me laugh. They were great. (laughs) They were so good. (laughs) It reminded me of the scene in Spice World, the movie. where.
0: (laughs) I'm sure that's what sure I did not bear bear with, Get I, with me on
1: I'm this. sure that's what Will Anderson was going go, yeah go it reminded me <laughs> of the scene in Spice the movie where the bus jumps over the bridge have you seen that movie no yeah. <laughs> there's a scene where the, the, they're in like the Spice bus which is like a double decker bus and they the, there's a chase scene and they there's like a, a bridge is opening up it's a classic action movie cliche the bridge is re- rising and they drive over it and then they talking. About, they're, it's they're actually pitching it's a film within a film they're pitching this action sequence and then these, one of the producers says well that sounds kind of expensive and then they just cut to like a claim a little claymation really shoddy like bus jumping over a you know and it looks intentionally crap and it kind of ram- the jump was just so obviously like you know phony like you can almost see the effect of him being like artificially raised but it just really made me laugh like, <laughs> like how shonky it looked like which I'm sure was deliberate but yeah. no, especially when really he's got really Harvey Keitel on his back and he does it again just like fully jumps this like, without a run up <laughs> with no run up yeah, yeah just like it's like he's Super Mario you know? <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
2: Um, but he manages that yeah. somehow yes. as they all end up at the church where social services has turned up yes. by this point, no one can find the kids. Yes. At this point, Bruce Willis decides to take it upon himself to start getting really defensive mm-hmm. about the fact that electroshock therapy and juvenile refuge are mm-hmm. what's coming. Um, yeah, he
1: tries to stick up for some really to, exactly. to protect him from being taken away. Yeah.
2: They, they get into an argument Somehow they clock where the kids are. Mm. They're not not hiding terribly
1: well. They're all dressed as birds, just like staring over the balcony. (laughs) Yes, they're all all in Neuer's
2: floodle costume. Mm. And then Susie and Sam disappear while the flood is in full rage, Mm -hmm. cut to a really nice shot on the roof that's really nice cinematography. It's in full blue night mm. kind of thing, Mm. which looks really nice. And this scene is a combination of the kids going to the top of this bell tower Mm -hmm. just so they can jump off, which again is very dramaturgically Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, the storm's est. still
1: raging, There's still lightning, and they, they, they've run out of places to hide. So they're like, "We're going to have to jump and swim for it, but we might die." And then they like they have a, a, a nice kiss. Like you know, they, they, he, he says something like, "Just in case we do die, I'm really glad that you met me and you married me."
2: Because oh, but- Sam can't swim, despite yeah. the fact that he can seemingly do everything. Yes, yeah, the else. one thing he never learned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, whilst this is going on, Bruce Willis is chasing them, mm. whilst also on a walkie-talkie to social services. <laughs> Trying to make the case that he should get full custody. He's having a full litigation. Yeah, who might not be alive by the time this full (laughs) thing finishes, as Bill Murray and Francis McDormand go full lawyer and defend (laughs) Bruce Willis's rights in. Him being able to take custody of this guy who... This 12-year-old boy who wants to get with their daughter (laughs) and who has run away with them and supposedly put all these terrible ideas in there. I mean, it's again, it's a very... There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. I'm already lost. (laughs) (laughs) They squeeze squeeze a lot into the last bit of that film, but they eventually get up there. Bruce Willis successfully manages to convince Sam to not... Effectively kill himself, which yeah. is what they looked like they were going to do. The bell tower gets struck by lightning <laughs> again. It's really not been Sam's day. No. In the front. And then the film basically sort of begins towards its conclusion with them hanging off a bell tower. Bruce
1: Willis gets his John McClane moment essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah which again i love that like they had this very dramatic moment of like you know the the kids are hanging off the it's very tense the kids are hanging off the roof you know the storm is raging and he's like don't let go and it's like oh wow this is really tense and then it just cuts away to oh it was fine everyone was fine we don't need to know about how they got down but it was fine
2: we yeah the film ends with the narrator talking about how the it was really devastating flood the crops were gray
1: Mm.
2: and we cut to uh Bill Murray and Francis McDormand's house, where the three younger brothers of Susie and Susie are just kind of there, hanging about. (laughs) We see Sam in full police officer's gear. Yeah,
1: he's now a deputy to Bruce Willis, which I thought was very cute. (laughs) It's
2: very cute, but it's also like... I mean, do you want to dress as whatever... Like, as a kid, is it your dream to dress as whatever your dad's... Well, I guess he's doing. still... He's not like his
1: birth dad. Maybe he's still I like... I know. Him, yeah. it's, I don't know. I think he I just, pre- I think he just likes the authoritar, you know? He likes, the, maybe. He likes having the authoritar.
2: It's, it's a power trip. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then they get called to dinner. Uh, Sam heads home... And there's just a nice moment where Susie's looking out the window as Sam gets into the police car. Yeah, it ends on a nice sweet romantic note. The camera cuts down to the painting that uh, Sam's been doing, and it's of the beach... Mm with Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, and that explains minutes. the name because
1: that, that really blandly named Cove, they've the, renamed the, it Moonrise exactly, Kingdom.
2: Which is yeah. which is really nice. I apologise because I took way too much oh, time no, was There's, a lot, to, much there's, much to, much there's a lot to unpack. Can <laughs> Sorry, i can cut you out. Yeah, yeah. Please, please, that, that, do. That'll be please a, edit That'll be 30 down.
1: seconds when we get to the yeah. show. Please yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. edit that down was,
2: because that was a lot to unpack. Oh, no, yeah. But yeah, that was that was Moonrise Kingdom. No, I think that was very nice to explain then, yeah. It's a very good
1: film. Yeah, very good. Thank you for bringing it into my life. I know you already knew it, but yeah.
2: But no I like bringing this to other people's lives because again most of the people who, who I meet have never heard of this film yeah so it's It's, like, yeah. it's nice to say go watch this film it's really uh, yeah.
1: good spread out into the world so yeah excellent
2: do you ever, do you ever have a film where it's, where you tell like people you you go on a date with for the first time or like friends who you're meeting mm. oh if you want to understand me you have to see this film <laughs> but with, yeah. with my dad it was fever pitch yeah <laughs> <laughs> with with me it's this
1: this yeah okay probably Muriel's wedding for me yeah that's see? I always say that's my favorite yeah so. exactly mm.
0: I don't take much understanding. There's not a lot going on. <laughs> what you see is don't what you get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, listen, think
1: about think
2: about what your answer is to that. Yeah, let us know. We may have
1: to swim for it. How deep is it? I didn't bring my life jacket. I don't know,
0: but if it's too shallow, we'll break our necks anyway. Hang on to me. Okay. Wait. Just in case this is a suicide or they capture us and we never see each other again
2: anymore, I just want to say thank you for marrying me.
3: I'm glad I got your name, Susie. I think you've still got lightning in you.
0: So, drinking games, what have we got, guys? All right, I'm going to go first because I think mine are the most generic. Sure. Um, drink for injuries. Drink for injuries? Yes. Any any injury that happened to anybody? Much misfortune. I mean, Bill Murray every time he gets a a black
1: eye. I definitely had that. Yeah. They they keep coming and going. Lucas Hedges gets a few. Poor Lucas Hedges. Yes. Sam gets
0: struck by lightning at least twice.
1: Yes. Yeah. Everyone gets. uh, Yeah. Even Susie with her ears being pierced. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody gets out of this film unharmed. I don't think. Everyone gets at least one. No. No,
0: There's also we've not talked about that one kid who's just got an eye patch on. Oh yes, eye patch. (laughs) Lazy
1: eye. Poor lazy eye.
0: Who's defined by this one injury that yeah, they've got? Yeah, poor kid.
1: Yeah, Edward Norton. This is the standard that he's set again. Terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible leadership. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to do your first one? Well, yeah, that brings me on to one of mine. Drink for poor child care. Drink for very poor child care across the board. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, okay, here's one. Drink for diegetic music, which is music that is played by something that's actually in the scene. I think most of the music in this film—it's a bit of a techie one—but like I think most of the music in this film, it's not like there's a soundtrack that's just playing from nowhere. It's like on the record player that Susie's brought along, you know. Is or... the
2: bugle getting played?
1: Exactly, yeah. So I, I really liked that as it was a nice little. No, to... I didn't think of that. It had its, it had its, it creates its own soundtrack you know. That's a, a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I love the little dance sequence to the, the French new wave song because it's like, it's this really slow, sultry kind of French song and she's kind of doing a, an appropriate dance, I'd say. She's kind of just slowly, like, waving her arms around and he's just, like, so not on the beat. He's just, like, <laughs> yeah. frantically flailing his arms around. It really tickled me.
0: <laughs> the beauties of growing up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, drink four symmetrical shots. Symmetrical yeah. shots, nice. Standard wears Anderson drinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, I had drink for bad ideas kids have.
1: Mm. So, (laughs) let's get married.
2: So, let's get married. If you suck on a pebble, it will sort out being dehydrated.
1: Also, I've got water.
2: (laughs) Yeah, uh, bringing the cat whilst Mm -hmm. running away with your boyfriend in the wilderness. Mm. Uh, Yeah, the ear piercing, everything about that. Um, Having the motorcycle. (laughs) <laughs> everything around the bow and arrow yes yeah <laughs> many
0: things in the campsite
1: yeah that poor dog really goes totally unmourned doesn't he like Snoopy like <laughs> yeah. it's really meant it's mentioned like oh by the way your dog's dead mm. and he's like oh well, that's a shame but like nobody like is it Edward Norton's dog is it just the camp dog like nobody seems to it's care it's true
2: we never know whose dog no. it actually is
1: yeah <laughs> I I another I just stupid line that I've, well not stupid a clever line that I really enjoyed But was when um, when Susie and Sam find the dead dog and she goes was he a good dog and he goes who can say? Like, it's, like <laughs> That's just such an existential question. Who, who who can really say he's a good or a bad dog? Like, who can say? But he, really didn't, he didn't deserve to die. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, that's why Sanderson always finding a way yeah, to make things exactly, existential. Like, yeah,
1: even though his throwaway line of dialogue managed to just be a little bit weird and offbeat, <laughs> which I love. Uh, okay, I'll just do one more then. Uh, drink for primary colours. Or maybe specifically, Ooh. drink for the colour yellow, which I noticed was all over this mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm. Mostly... In the foster, in the, the foster parents, on, on the telephone call, their whole house is just yellow.
0: Yeah, like, like, when I first noticed that, I was like, "What's what's going on here? Mm. Well, is is there a thing? Is every room going to be a different color or something?" You or never find out. No, it's yeah. still yellow for no I think reason I might, whatsoever.
1: If, if I ever buy a house, I might do that. I might have like a room that's just all one color. It might be
0: quite intense.
1: Yeah, but fun. Like, <laughs> you
0: might find yourself going a little bit insane.
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs> and like, your eyes may need to adjust
0: when you walk into each room.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, oh, it was like the, It was the. I think they had like a yellow lampshade, like a you know, lamp. You know,
0: or you know, like when well, you might not actually, but when you lie down in the sun, go on, man. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, you're there for like ten minutes, and you, then you open your eyes afterwards, and everything looks a little bit green for whatever. Reason. Yeah, yeah, that would be their lives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, personally,
2: I think the bits that are uh, on the campsite are the most intense bits mm. of this film. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because they're.
1: Intent. Intent. Oh, oh god <laughs> Right podcast over We're done here Finley yeah. <laughs> Alright
0: let's move on quickly. Yeah okay So yeah. That's,
1: Well you've driven us to drink with that one So that's a good way to wrap up Have you got any more Is that the end of your drinking No game? that's mine Okay that's so that's, that's probably a good point To wrap up the drinking games Oh sons of
2: bitches They i him right through the neck Was he a good
0: dog? Who's to say? But he didn't deserve
1: to die. Okay, do you want to do your, your bit? Your <laughs> spiel? Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll do my bit spiel now. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, listeners, Finn is actually one of our loyal Patreon supporters. Yes, thank you very um, much sure again. Am.
1: Cannot thank you enough for that.
0: <laughs> um, at uh, some point, he has gone to patreon.com slash boxer and he has decided to give us a little bit of money every month, mm-hmm. um, however much he feels we're worth. How much are we worth to you? You're currently worth the two
2: quid, but in my defence, this is because I am currently trying to sort my freelance life I don't,
0: out. Don't need to defend yourself. I will
2: really appreciate it. What I, what I will, appreci- what I will uh, say to any listeners out there who are thinking about it, because I was in the, should I, should I not do this? Mm-hmm. The thing that I think I've enjoyed most from being a Patreon member mm-hmm. has been that when you become a Patreon member, you are effectively joining the family that is beyond the box set. Oh. Not, just, not just the members within it, but... John and Harry, who mm-hmm. have been really amazing and in invited me into their home, given that oh. I could have been a psychopath. I, I, don't, <laughs> um, I, I don't live here, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I think that's that's the biggest sort of selling point I I can make is mm-hmm. that it's it's in terms of sort of value for money, so to speak, which might be the sort of thought process that a lot of you are thinking about it covers itself so many times over Aww. from the joy that you get out of being part of this collective and being part of this group and being part of this family. So please do give money to Beyond the Box. Wow, oh, wow.
1: nailed that, thank <laughs> <frankly>. you.
0: <laughs> Bloody hell that we know what else to say now. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so I guess that the practicalities are that we get... Uh, uh,
0: so you get access to our exclusive Facebook group yes. uh, where you can uh, chat to Finn a bit more directly if you wish If you yeah. wish to. And us. Yeah. Along with me and John, yeah. <laughs> and all, all um, of the members, yeah. You get a bonus show um, about weekly where me and John go to the cinema every week and then we review that film, Mm -hmm. whatever we see. Um, there's always some good stuff happening on there. Yeah. Uh, once a month we do the Patreon episode, such as today where we pick a patron, such as Finn, who comes on chooses a film yeah, for us. You
1: can you're more than welcome and encouraged to come to Leeds and join us if you would so wish, but if that's not practical for you or if you don't want to, you're also welcome to do it. We can Skype you. And if you don't necessarily want to be on the show, but you just there's a film you'd like us to talk about, just tell us what film we'll just do it on your behalf. That's fine too, whatever. But you get to pick a film for us to cover essentially. Yeah. So
0: Yeah. And also once a month every Patreon gets a thirty second advert slot on the main show. Yes,
1: which Finn is currently using to plug his uh, fantastic podcast P- Passport People, which we'll hear a little bit more about in a bit. In fact, let's talk about it now. Yeah, give it a
2: <laughs> in a bit. Why but... not? <laughs> yeah. Uh... I mean, so I've, I've already mentioned quite a bit of earlier, but in case it's been cut
1: from the earlier bits. Um, <laughs> oh God, this, is just, this is just to make you feel good. We're not actually including any of this. <laughs> hey, I'm
2: just saying I'm a podcaster myself. Mm. I am always, even when I'm in the midst of recording, desperately thinking, oh no, is this running too long? <laughs> so I can only imagine, I can only imagine how you guys are feeling. Mm-hmm. But basically, the podcast is called Passport People. It's available on all good uh, podcasting platforms and bad ones. Basically, I talk to people about the places that matter to them, which can be where they live live where they grew up where their family are from it's it's all sorts of different reasons that people pick places which we go into on the podcast itself Mm -hmm. there's an amazing range of stories we hear a little bit about personal experiences people have had stuff about the history of places and we really get you really get to see the different places in question through the eyes of the people who we interview, so we've uh, finished season one about a month ago, so February. We have season two coming up, um, and of the ones that have already been recorded, we have Edinburgh, Scotland, Amsterdam, Bermuda. Uh, we've got a South African episode getting recorded quite soon, wow. so uh, and of course we're going to have John Harry on to, yeah. to talk all things Leeds Excellent. later yeah. today, which uh, I'm really excited about. So yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not please talking about Leeds. I'm going to talk
0: about Mid Wales. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, we'll see. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to say about that. That's Um, what you think. It's a really interesting podcast. Definitely check it out. So that's podcast people available on all good podcasting platforms. Passport people. I'm sorry, podcast people. (laughs) There's a lot of P's to deal with. That's passport people available on all good podcasting platforms, and the bad ones, as you said. So, great. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, all details of our uh, Patreon is at patreon.com forward slash beyond the box set. Yeah.
0: Go there. Do it. Who says forward slash anymore?
1: So, W, w, <laughs> w, w
0: <laughs> dot, dot HTML. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm old. You work in websites now, John. I know. I sort know. it out. Sorry. God. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. That's enough of that. So should we sequels?
1: Yeah. Uh, do you want me to? Get, well, Finn, we normally have the guest yeah. in the middle. Yeah. No, so I'm ready for would my you middle. Would rather be first or last, great. Harry? Uh, I'll be last. last. Okay. I think I was first, last, last guest. Fair enough. I will go first this time. Okay. Cool. So my sequel is. Based on the fact that watching this film, it really struck me. Obviously, Wes Anderson has a very unique style. And so I found myself thinking about the other Wes Anderson films that I've seen. So I thought uh, it made me think particularly of *The Royal Tenenbaums*, which we've done on a previous episode, which is another fantastic film. And obviously, in that film, we see some flashbacks to the childhood of the three principal characters played by Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Stiller, and Luke Wilson. I forgot uh, Ben Stiller was in there. Yeah, so there's a lot of there's some flashbacks to their childhood, but not a whole lot is filled in. So I and I don't know if this entirely lines up chronologically because I couldn't remember when Tenenbaums is set if there is a specific time period set to it but I was thinking wouldn't it be interesting since this movie is set in the 60s if the Tenenbaums somehow met the cast of Moonrise Kingdom as children oh no so my sequel yeah <laughs>
0: I'm looking forward to what's going on with Bill Murray
1: yeah oh god he's in both isn't he okay I had not considered that he doesn't although he doesn't...
2: no 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 I, I, can, I can defend this because Bill Murray only comes into Royal Tenenbaums when the Tenenbaum children are all adults True. Yeah. So if you've if you've said it as they meet when they're children, then yeah. actually Bill Murray doesn't need to come into this as the lover of Gwyneth Paltrow.
1: True. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he just looks familiar to her. Later. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let,
0: let, let's get maybe it's issues. Yeah. Maybe it <laughs>
1: plants some seeds. Yeah. We'll get to yeah. Let's add. To, there's definitely going to be a degree of you know you guys help me out with this, but. Essentially, my thought is
0: my favourite option is always to go with an evil twin or something. Evil like twin, evil twin. <laughs>
1: that would be a very evil, uh, Wes Anderson thing to do. Yeah. Evil twin is just the best. A yeah. secret evil twin. Mm. If he was going to twin, separated it at birth, bomb, maybe though, yeah. we can yeah, we can awesome. get into this. We can get into this, but the the, the fundamental concept is that so this is in the sixties. It's I am setting this a few years, or maybe it's the early seventies. It's a few years. I was thinking also for casting purposes that Moon Kingdom came out in 2014, 12, when was it? 2012. 2012. 2012. Yeah. So, because the children from the two, Sam and Susie, the children from Moon Kingdom, I want to bring them back. So they are now uh, in their early 20s. They're 21. 21, yeah. Eight, yeah. I so that's this up
2: for the purposes of developing my own team. Oh, good.
1: So, okay. <laughs> well, I hope we're not at the same idea. But uh, essentially, I was think- thinking I want to keep them in. So let's say it's set nine years after the original. Eight, nine. I can't count. Eight years after the original to bring it up to speed. Mm-hmm. So, I, again, I don't know if that works with the Tenenbaums ages, but I'm just going to, you know, wave up my hand over it. And, you know, just for the purposes of this story. So the when Tenenba- we're using the Tenenbaums as young children. I'm thinking this is before Margot loses the finger so they're like you know <laughs> like pre-teens they're all pre like, do you remember that in Royal Tenenbaums that yep. uh, Gwyneth loses a finger so that hasn't happened yet um, have you seen it? yes Yeah. Cool. yeah no, you I've seen it I've seen,
2: I've seen all of them yeah. I've even seen Bottle Rocket which is Wes Anderson on no oh, budget which yes. is really fun to go
1: and see <laughs> One for the list. So yeah, the Tenenbaums as young children, before all of the stuff's gone down with Margot's finger, before Angelica Houston and Gene Hackman get divorced, so very early on. like, uh, And at this point, and their mother, played by Angelica Houston, she's become concerned that her children, being kind of prodigies uh, you know, in various ways, aren't mixing well with other children. So she forces them against their will. She sends them, with the best, with the best interests of hearts, because she generally seems like a decent mum, uh, she sends them to Camp Ivanhoe. For reasons. You know, maybe she's just heard about it from a friend of a friend or whatever. So she ships them off to Camp Ivanhoe, very much against their wishes. I think Gene Hackman would be very much against this, would protest loudly, <laughs> but she overrules him and the children are sent reluctantly to Camp Ivanhoe. So and when they get there, they encounter Sam, who has now grown up, you know, he's in his early twenties, and he has now actually replaced Ed Norton, who is presumably in jail. <laughs> 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 He's not he's Sam is now the camp player oh, <laughs> Sam's now the camp leader, which I think would be a good role for him—a very natural fit. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: And the three tenenbaums arrive, and obviously they instantly detest this camp. This is so not their whole vibe, you know. And I'm thinking it's kind of like a Wes Anderson take on the Adams Family Values. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. The second Adams Family film, where obviously Wednesday and Pugsley go to a camp, and they're just so out of place. And the tenenbaum—I think Margot tenenbaum does have a bit of the Wednesday Adams about her, anyway. You know, she's oh, got the definitely you know the, with the kind of the, the coal eyes and the just general deadpanness. So that's the vibe I'm thinking with. This like not quite as dark as adam's family values but definitely in that territory so they really do not like this they are not camping people obviously and they much like sam did in the in the moonrise kingdom film they make several attempts to escape the camp and get Mm -hmm. away unfortunately as intelligent as they all are that none of them none of them have any practical outdoor skills at all that's not the world they've grown up in so all of their attempts to escape fail miserably you know and i think that'd be fun to see them like because they're so self-possessed in Tenenbaums in many ways to see them like out of their depth I think that would be a really fun twist on these characters so I'm thinking their lack of practical skills is going to mean they're going to fail every time so I think this could take up a, a, like much like Moonrise Kingdom the first third of this movie could just be the Tenenbaums trying to escape from camp and always getting into terrible scrapes like what, like imagine those kind of children on this island like they could run into a bear maybe or they could you know they're not going to be able to pitch a tent you know they're going to get ill you know they're going to be easy, not, they're going to out of food you know?
0: I'm just imagining like uh, the revenant now
1: yeah look, yeah. Maybe, maybe it goes super maybe it gets super intense or like that's it maybe they, it escalates so quickly for them because they're so unprepared for this and then inevitably sam and the other scouts will find them and it'll be like guys you're fine like just yeah just yeah you know, they get into far worse situations than they need to do so that's going to be like a, a good portion of this film obviously they're not going to be terribly popular with the other scouts much like sam wasn't you know because they're, they're so aloof and then they're not really interested in being here and they're, they're quite elitist so the other scouts don't like them they're probably going to get bullied a little bit uh, but sam the scout leader he's going to be really determined he's going to see something in them even though they're very different he's going to remember his own time as being like the shunned, the one, the unpopular one. And he's really going to be determined to kind of crack them, like win them around. He really sees something in them that reminds him of himself in some ways. So he's, he's he really takes not quite a shine to them, but they become his project basically. Uh, And so I think like the main meat of the film is going to be him trying to, win them rounds to you know embracing this outdoor life and camp life with varying degrees of success you know i was thinking that richie the luke wilson character in tenenbaums he is a child tennis prodigy so i think he's probably the most outdoorsy or the most like primed to thrive in this if, if any of the three of them he, he seems like he could probably do okay Definitely. so i think he could maybe under sam's encouragement set up like a, th- a tennis training court in the camp and he starts teaching all the other kids how to play tennis and that's how he ingratiates himself with them and maybe initially he's far too authoritarian and like aggressive initially and the kids would not like it but eventually he learns to tamp that down and like work on their level and eventually he kind of starts to enjoy himself and the kids start enjoying the tennis and so he that's how he you know finds his way uh i think margot is obviously going to meet susie I think Susie and Sam are definitely still married maybe legally married now that they're actually of age uh, but <laughs> I definitely wasn't going to split it like, it's not legal at 12 years old they signed a document I didn't yeah I they, don't... they
2: do say uh, Jason Schwartzman does say this isn't legally binding, uh, but okay. the ceremony does provide, you know, so like he he made it as much of a thing as it was, but no, my understanding it wasn't legally. No. right.
1: Okay. <laughs> but uh, there's no way I was. I don't know what you two have done, but I was not here to split those two kids up. I believe in that story. Ah, so uh, I... you'll
2: see what happens. Okay. Well, I've kept them together. They are still very Ooh, much in love. Can we get uh,
1: them to leave now? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I feel like she's obviously going to be somewhat present at the camp because her husband obviously works there. So she's going to bond very much with Margot because I feel like they're very much cut from the same cloth. And I think because she's now 21 and this is like obviously young Margot, I think Margot's probably going to be about 12 at this point. So I'm imagining that Margot will almost start to slightly hero worship her. A little bit. She'll be like a big sister, like a big sister slash mother figure. Maybe more of a big sister because she's only twenty-one. So I'm imagining that because Margot in World Tenenbaums is is like a, lit, a child literary prodigy. She writes books from a young age. So I think she's already doing that. She's already a writer. And because Susie's a big avid reader, she is offering critique. So she reads Margot's like early writings. And because she's very unfiltered and not somebody who's going to, you know, she gives her very honest. Criticism, which Margot kind of bristles against initially, but actually takes on board and it, it improves her writing. So they have this relationship. I'm thinking there's going to be lots of fun, like inappropriate scenes of the two of them just sat smoking, chain smoking, even though she's twelve. Because you know. <laughs> Margot's a big secret smoker in the Royal Tenenbaums too. So this so, is where... so.
2: We're also saying that Susie hasn't gotten rid of any of the sort of like rage. Maybe like well, a rage against the world, us against. I think everybody it's still. I think it's attitude. still there.
1: Well, I think maybe she's not as rage and resentful anymore but I think she's certainly still got that deadpan quality that kind of slightly outside I think she's not changed as a person she's still very much herself
2: god seeing a scene between her and Margot Tenenbaum oh, mm, yeah, oh, that would be
1: very freaky it would a bit yeah but maybe this is where she picked where Margot picks up her smoking habit Because Susie smokes.
0: her eyeshadow as well.
1: Yes, they they teach each other. Yeah, yeah, she teaches her how to do makeup. So, yeah. Because she is really a mini Margot. It is. It's weird, actually, now
0: that I
2: think about it. I never put those two things together.
1: (laughs) One thing I really liked, actually, about Moonrise Kingdom was that Susie, reading the back behind the scenes stuff again. The girl who played Susie did her own makeup, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. And I really think that's a really good idea because I did notice watching the film, I was like, oh, she went a little heavy on the eyeliner, the eyeshadow stuff. But then, of course, she's a kid. She would. Like, you know, when you're a kid, putting makeup on for the first time. So I thought it's a really... Whereas a professional makeup artist might have made that just look very natural, but because mm-hmm. she's got really heavy... I really like that. It really Again, it really, it told you a little bit about the... Like, visually told you something about the character without, like signposting it so i was really pleased when i read that like oh of course she did that makes a lot of sense so yeah absolutely but yeah so i like the idea that yeah she creates Margot in her own image so yes yeah, she she helps her to do she teaches her how to do makeup she introduces her to smoking and the, the two just spend a lot of time sitting at the camp chain smoking reading books and staring into the middle distance in binoculars so yeah <laughs> i just really i really like the idea of those two as friends that's was, that was really my way into this sequel mm. And the other one is uh, Richie, who is the character who will later be played by Ben Stiller. Uh, no, no, sorry, not Richie. Uh, Chaz. Chaz is the Ben Stiller character. Sure. Yes. And Chaz in Tenenbaums, he is a child business prodigy and maths prodigy. Uh, so he's 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 like on the investment circuit at the age of like 10 and whatever. And he, you know, I think he has a nervous breakdown or something. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they all have nervous breakdowns in Tenenbaums. It's very <laughs> much that thing. So I think he's going to be the hardest nut to crack because he is totally removed from anything Everything. you know to, in this world he's very much an inside an indoor kid uh but sam's really going to work hard on kind of wearing him down and i think that after richie and margot kind of ingratiate themselves into the count and start to enjoy things and they kind of relax they stop trying to escape But they, they wouldn't admit they're having fun because it's not their vibe but they they are having fun and so but Chaz is still determined to get away by all any means necessary so he's continuing to try and escape. And at a certain point, the other two just stop going with him. They're just like, you know what? What's the point? <laughs> so Chaz makes another solo escape attempt, despite Sam's best efforts to win him round. Goes off on his own into the wilderness, much like Sam does in Moonrise Kingdom. So, you know, lots of parallels there. Uh, and I think this is where he's going to get into some real trouble, like, because, he's again, he's not equipped for this. So maybe this is where he gets attacked by a bear. I think something really bad has to... <laughs> he's not going to die, but something really bad has to happen to him. So you he can't can- kill Chaz. <laughs> no.
0: Wait, sorry. Who we talking about
1: Chaz now? Chaz, the yeah, the Ben R. R. Stiller sorry, yeah. as a child character from Royal Tenement. Yeah, yeah. He, he escapes on his own, but something bad has to happen that has some repercussions. That I'll explain in a moment. But I was thinking maybe he runs into a bear and like runs. Maybe away.
2: he can't swim because he's never been taught, and he falls into one of the rivers. Possibly he
1: almost drowns. Yeah. yeah. But something befalls him that's particularly bad, basically, and he does survive and he's rescued, brought back to camp. Or I thought I'm going to change it a little bit. He yeah, he nearly drowns. He gets into trouble in the wilderness and he's rescued by. Lucas Hedges, Ooh. who's now all grown up, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now Lucas Hedges is an adult as well now, but he still maintains a bitter, bitter rivalry with um, <laughs> with Sam. You know, he's still very resentful of uh, you know, <laughs> being stabbed and all that. The whole, the, the whole uh, yeah, sure, understandably <laughs> so. Yeah,
0: you make so, it, you make it sound like he's really held on to this for the past couple of years but unnecessarily. But like, yeah.
1: God, let it go, man. A little, who? What's a little stabbing between friends? Yeah. You know, it's childhood hijinks. <laughs> But yeah, he, he he's maybe he's another ca- maybe he's like leading a rival camp. But and he's the one who finds Chaz, rescues him, finds out what's happened, and he then because he's so bent on revenge, he then uses this information and teams up with social services, brings Tilda Swinton back in <laughs> oh, to try wow. and get the camp shut down, because he he basically posits that Sam isn't is unfit to run a camp because he, these children, this child nearly died, you know, and it becomes a whole thing where him and social services are trying to basically get. Sam fired, and to shut down the camp... To shut down Camp Iverdhoe forever, basically, because it's just... Too many incidents have happened. Too many too many kids have been struck by lightning or fallen out of tree houses, or, you know, it's just... This has to stop. Um, <laughs> so, this is, like, the big dramatic moment where the, it looks like the camp is going to be closed down forever. The kids are very sad. But the Tenenbaums, this is where they kind of rally and they realise that especially because Mar- Margot and Richard start to enjoy themselves and maybe at this point Chaz has a change of heart as well maybe they, they convince him whatever but now the Mar- the, the bounds rally and use their like metropolitan you know upper, upper class you know skills to litigate and to successfully defend the camp <laughs> from social services launch wow. like a, a, a counter suit or something And you know, drawing all their wealth and knowledge and money and stuff, and they manage to then actually save the camp from being closed down, and they rescue Sam's job, and uh, yeah, and and that's pretty much where it ends. But it ends, I guess, with them leaving the camp at the end of the summer, bittersweet. You know, they they say goodbye, and they figure out they, they've learnt a lot and then they go back to their regular lives their regular dysfunctional ten and bound lives but they, <laughs> they just have this little adventure that they, they, they just, that they never really talk about again but it was a nice little moment in their childhood so. that's nice yeah so that was uh, the title I gave for that was Moonrise Monarchy because you know world ten and bound that's nice yeah. ah, clever yeah. Moonrise leather.
2: Monarchy yeah. oh goodness yeah, is it really my turn really really. yes it is uh, so, is, yeah. so mine isn't a million miles oh dear off of that. no 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 don't worry we haven't we haven't done the the same thing okay cool but there are there are definitely bits mm-hmm. in yours mm-hmm. that I also had okay cool that's so, fine right uh, so I, I'll tell you where the fun begins and I'm going to pick up on the sort of world we're in from what happens at the end of Moonrise Kingdom sure uh, so Sam and Susie uh, stay together through childhood because mm-hmm. uh, they're both living on the island so mm-hmm. they you know they're just there they're mm-hmm. with each other they you know they hang out every now and again they you know they, they grow up together in many ways and they are you know each other's first proper mm-hmm. relationship have you done what
1: I've done and aged it moved it forward eight years so that the actors Yeah. So okay cool. so this
2: as, as I'll get to this film is completely set in 1973, which is cool. eight years after the original film, Great. disco era. Yeah, with
1: 73. <laughs> yeah, 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 73. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, although, again, disclaimer. You know, it's still happening on the island. Sure. So it's, so it's a, it's a time. It's not island. like yeah. yeah. It's not like you know everyone's wearing like bell button. It's not Saturday Night Fever. Mi- yeah. mi- mi- <laughs> mi-
1: mi- <laughs> moon rose Kingdom now. Oh, that would be that fun. would be fantastic. Yeah. John Travolta rocks up. <laughs> with a massive teaching Sam how to be
2: groovy yeah
1: (laughs) John Travolta is a camp leader actually actually, I would be on board for that but anyway continue so so anyway the
2: film the film sort of picks up at a sort of flashback point so Sam and Susie have been together throughout their childhood um, and Susie goes to New York Uh to study English at NYU that's the university I know makes sense Um, Sam you know his world is the island. His world is, you know, the scouts and everything that he's learned. So he he decides that he's going to stay on the island and continue his rise up the scouting ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ends up getting a role with the American Scouts Association. Uh-huh. Susie and Sam, you know, keep in touch via letters. Mm-hmm. So in very much the same way as they did at the beginning of Moonrise Kingdom. Sure. They are, you know, they're keeping in touch with each other. Mm. But again, as relationships have become more complicated as they get older, it gets increasingly harder for them to be able to maintain a long-distance relationship Mm. that's happening over letters. You know, Susie's having all these experiences. Sam's having all these experiences and they're just, you know, for yeah. reasons, they're just, they're not quite clicking with each yeah. other. So they make a sort of mutual agreement, you know, that they're not going to be in a relationship but that they'll still really matter to each other. Sure. Okay. Um, you monster. I know. But,
1: Greatest but love stories since Titanic and you're Hang on,
2: it. hang on. <laughs> I haven't, the film hasn't even really kicked sorry, off Sorry, I'm sorry. This Carry is on. just where we are at the <laughs> okay, beginning. cool. So, the film properly kicks off. So that's oh. all the sort of, like, setting the scene sure the film properly starts with Sam living on the island mm-hmm. uh, working at Camp Ivanhoe as the uh, scout uh, leader okay. being supervised by Edward Norton okay. into being but, able to run this but for thing. why what's Edward Norton
0: supervising what's he well, oh no you're doing that yeah, wrong
2: well, <laughs> well you know as someone who is you know working with young people and who is quite regularly like told oh you want to lead something you might as well you you let's supervise you and check that you can do it before we can so this is effectively sam's equivalent of that you know you we we mainly trust you we know you've got all the skills but this is us just you know ticking our boxes to make sure that you know nothing happens again times changing post edward norton just you know eighth grade math teacher just being like oh we need someone you just go and do it (laughs) um and edward norton following the events of what happened on the flood night uh, he was seen as doing quite a good job, and so he's been able to keep his role, and he's just risen up from there. So his standing, his stock, is still quite high in the in the scout world. Mm-hmm. And the film properly kicks off because Susie has returned to the island with Warren, mm-hmm. who is a master's student in history okay. at NYU. So that's where that's where they've met, mm-hmm. played by. Timothy Chameley.
1: Who else, of course? Because yeah.
2: a he's in every single he's in every single sequel that you guys pitch anyway. Yeah.
1: Do, does Just she, like
0: you guys, every single sequel that he pitch.
1: does? Does Susie have a college roommate, and can she be played by Saoirse Ronan? <laughs> <laughs> As a sassy Irish, you know, English master's But
2: also, I think... Can Tim- they
0: get ripped apart by bears? <laughs>
2: no. We've not seen French Dispatch yet, because it's not yet out, but no. I think Timothy Chalamet is supposed to play quite a big part in that, so mm. I think we are going to see him in more Wes Anderson films anyway. Okay, so yeah. this is also He just does
1: fit into that world of it. Yeah, yeah. This I, I would disagree.
2: This <laughs> isn't just keeping sort of the vague, like, idea of the world. This is also thinking, what would Wes Anderson realistically... Mate. Sure, yeah. Supposedly. Yes.
1: He's probably not casting Zac Efron any time exactly. soon, yeah. Exactly. So no, he cast he, Ben Stiller, right? I think that's quite a, I think that's quite
0: an out there casting.
1: I guess yeah. Yeah,
2: but I think Ben Stiller and Owen put, Wilson will have known each other from other places. So it's okay, kind of like yeah. it's kinda yeah. like getting your mate in to, you know. Yeah. I can imagine right. with Ray Fiennes being in um, Grand Budapest Hotel that it was probably something quite similar with Tilda Swinton. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so Susie returns to the island with Warren. Warren is very classic urban city guy, very academic, very doesn't really want to get his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. But he really likes Susie, and they've been together for a year or two now, mm-hmm. and they you know they really feel good about each other. And this is him going not only to meet the parents, but also to to sort of go home, you know, mm-hmm. back to what Susie's childhood. Place was, get to grips with everything, get to hear all the stories about the forest, and just generally feel like he is understanding an, another part of Susie. Mm-hmm. And as part of this, Warren asks because he's heard so much about Sam and the scout troop and the wilderness, mm-hmm. he decides to join Sam's scout troop for the course of while he's there, just to learn all these different skills. You know, learn about canoeing and Mm -hmm. camping and how to be able to do all that stuff so that it's something that he can add to his reasons for, you know, Susie to, you know, like him and feel happy about Mm -hmm. him and
1: to make him a more well-rounded boyfriend, basically. Mm -hmm. Are you imagining this character as being a likeable character or is he going to be a bit of a, like, antagonist, like a bit of a (sighs) villain, a bit of a snob, like...
2: I mean, I think when I sort of pictured the film, Mm. the thing is, as audience members who will have seen the original, you're Mm. going in rooting. You're primed for Samus, yeah. Yeah. So even though he's not specifically doing anything wrong Mm. or anything that's specifically mean. From the get go, you kind of there's already a sense that's like, let's get this guy out of the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you you're still rooting for Sam and Susie. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You still want them to find a way to be together. Mm-hmm. And this is seen as being the obstacle in that process. Okay, sure. Um so Warren joins the camp mm-hmm. and under Sam, who himself is under the supervision of Edward Norton, mm-hmm. he uh is interacting with the camp and doing all these various different bits. Meanwhile. The narrator, Bill Balaban, from the first <laughs> film, is also in this film right. doing quite a lot of the same sort of role he did in the first film. Except this time he's not talking about the Black Beacon Storm. Mm. He's talking about the Black Beacon legend. Ooh. He is talking about an early Native American legend about one of the neighbouring islands very, very close to... Uh, 3.25 tidal inlet, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically, this legend, and we get different bits of it as the film goes on, it's made to look exactly, like, almost a mirror image of the story of Moonrise Kingdom, the original film. Ah. So it's like, uh, you know, the Blackbeak legend was of two... Native American kids who ran off together to see the island because they didn't feel that they were being listened to. You know, I'm not phrasing it well, but mm. it's scripted in a very Wes Anderson way where it's giving you enough information to go, this is, you know, the Black Beacon legend. And oh, it's so sounded, it's like
1: is repeating itself. Yeah, kind of it's thing.
2: sounding eerily like what happened in the, the first film. So right. not only as an audience member, are you rooting for Sam and Susie, but you're being further buoyed on by this legend, this Native American legend being told Mm -hmm. and there being this sense of, hang on, they were meant to be together. (laughs) They were, you know, they were... It's destiny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's destiny. It's meant to be. Like, surely this is what's got to happen. Warren... Is trying to fit in with the scouting troop, but it's really not working. Mm. He's kind of made similarly to yours. He's kind of made fun of for you know being urban, not wanting to get his hands dirty. He's made fun of for the fact that he's uh, older, mm-hmm. and therefore everything he does looks kind of silly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, you know, he ties knots and, you know, he'll tie up the canoe to something and the canoe will just float off, you know, <laughs> that that sort of thing. Yeah. And, it, you know, it'll fall perfectly into that Wes Anderson brand of this is sad, but we can also make this seem really funny. Yeah. yeah. Susie is, meanwhile, trying to write a book okay, yeah. at the family home. That's one of the things she's decided to do. She's like, I want to write a novel.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: But she is being persistently interrupted by her parents, mm-hmm. who... They're uh, still together. Who are still together? Oh my yeah. god! They've they've now uh, retired from lorrying, mm-hmm. so they're much more relaxed. Oh good! They have okay. way more time to be at the house. Oh, so they've
1: mended. They've, they've worked on their marriage own. and mended it. Yeah, they're in a better place? They, okay. they stuck together.
2: Good. They were they were very much you know they were going through a different patch, but they did a difficult patch. I mean, poor Bruce Willis, but way sure. It. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they they're still not you know they've got that old couple thing going. Of you know they're not as in love as when they were sort of young and when sure. they first met, but you know they. They have a fondness for each other that we don't necessarily see in the original film. Fair enough, Shaw. But they are consistently interrupting Susie in her attempts to write this book uh, with their disapproving opinions of Warren. (laughs) Ah, You know, as all parents kind of are with, you know, your first series, like, oh, they're not. They're not good enough, mm. uh, you know. Have the, they
1: come around now where they prefer Sam, even though they don't like him in the first movie? Or is well,
2: they kind of... The thing with Sam is they know. They kind of know Sam. Like He's after, a known quantity, yeah. Well, yeah, like, after the events of the first film, you know, Sam became more of a regular fixture in the house. Yeah. He, he would be at dinner more often. Mm. There would be more interaction between Sam and the family, so that mm-hmm. even if the family weren't necessarily keen on the fact that, you know, he was around doing things with Susie there was a very least a sense that okay you know we can't just completely shut the door on this we have to let something in and they've they've kind of become used to it yeah and Warren in many ways is the polar opposite of that so the idea that something is going to come in and completely throw their perspectives on what they imagined uh, Susie's boyfriend as being is really unsettling the parents mm. and um, they also for very much the same reasons that Warren is also thinking at the same time, you know, he just, he doesn't get the island, he's just, he's very classic city academic mm. So he rubs them the wrong way. Exactly, and they they're very sure that Susie's going to get quite bored of it and that mm. Susie's losing touch with mm. her roots and who she was and they they are also sort of like, well why don't you just you know, talk to Sam mm sort of thing but this is the other thing to note I've intentionally not had those two meet in a scene yet yes.
1: Sam and Warren sorry I, no Sam and Susie Sam and Susie I very okay.
2: specifically kept them apart right, okay. for this bit of the film and you'll, you'll see why as, as we go on okay meanwhile Captain Sharp who's also in this film mm-hmm. is battling cancer
1: was that Bruce Willis this is Bruce yeah, Willis okay. yeah okay
2: battling cancer oh. yeah That's battling Sam. cancer so difficult stuff mm-hmm. um, he's lost all his great hair Ha <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I maybe I wrote that <laughs> plot line off the base that it kind of looked like he was going that way. Yeah. Anyway, I mean he does look he does look very ill for a lot of this film.
3: Yeah.
2: Um. But anyway, so he's in at the hospital in Saint Jack, uh, mm. battling cancer, and Sam is continuing to care for and take care of him. And Aww. you know, Sam is Sam's a model professional in his job. So mm. even though there's clearly a lot of feelings coming up with Susie's return to the island and her boyfriend coming into his troop and being an idiot, he's not really saying anything until these moments because he knows that you know aside from the fact that captain sharp is this sort of father figure Mm -hmm. it's also a sense of you know i feel like we can talk about this stuff and i feel like you understand and i feel like we can be honest about this and this is the only point at which we understand that you know sam wants to sort of be there for susie but it's very difficult because Mm -hmm. there is a lot of stuff there and you know there's always there's always a connection to your first love, where mm. even if things go difficult and you understand, yeah, this isn't going to work. You know, mm. there's still it's still there and it's okay. still complicated. So
1: Bruce Willis is the char- the one character that Sam can be vulnerable with because exactly. he's not a very vulnerable character. In exactly, the
2: and that's that's also juxtaposed with the fact that you know he's he's very you know Bruce Willis is very sick. Yeah, oh and sure, so, so yeah. you know there's we get to understand a lot of the sort of complicated stuff that's going through Sam's head that we don't really get to see when he's out in the in the camp. Sure. Eventually, after all this sort of, you know, Warren just not getting it, Warren snaps. Right. And he gets super frustrated and firstly he vents his anger at sam but then he vents his anger at susie as well so he wants
1: to leave the island yeah he just
2: he just feels like he doesn't get it it is not his thing he felt like he needed to do this for her Mm. but he just doesn't get it and maybe they're just two very different people Mm. and it's not made to work and he just wants to go back to new york and Have his, you know, normal New York life Mm. exactly as he, you know, imagined it and grew up in it and had that experience. And he leaves and goes back to St. Jack to sort of stay in a sort of small bed and breakfast type place Mm -hmm. until he eventually goes back to New
1: York. Right.
2: This is where Sam and Susie have their one scene together.
1: Right, okay, okay.
2: Which... I feel this is very built up. It is yeah. very built up, and it's going to happen on the bench <clears throat> where Susie's mother and Captain Sharp ah, yeah, parted yeah. ways. So yeah. there's sort of dramaturgical thing going on and the place where, you know, his dad and mm-hmm. her mum, you know, failing to make it work all that time ago, are now are now meeting.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they talk everything through and Sam gets the opportunity. Because remember this is the first proper conversation that they've actually had since mm. they decided they weren't going to mm-hmm. have a proper relationship. So did
1: they like stop writing to each other? Or did they take a total break? They did. They were the, just yeah.
2: like, you know what, you know, I think I think this is for the best, and yeah. I think you need to. Be we able need to space. Go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. you need to be able to go live your life, and sure. I need to be able. Which you know I think is very realistic of yeah. relationships in general. That one of the things that you don't realise when you're young and getting into these things is that, you know, you pretty much always have time to have your own space. Whereas when you become sort of 19, 20 and you begin to get into serious relationships, it can be quite difficult to find the line between where is me and where is this person who I'm in a relationship with. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they realize quite quickly after they both, you know, go to being on their own places. Mm -hmm. And particularly when you've lived, like, just down the road from each other for six, seven years... When suddenly that falls apart, it can be quite violent. Yeah. And Sam never had the opportunity to properly express his feelings about this because it was harder on him than it was for, for Susie, who, you know, was in New York, had a lot of stuff going on. to sure. throw herself into her studies and all these different things. It's
1: like she's moved on and he's left behind yeah, at Sam, the same place. Yeah, Sam so. pretty
2: much, he was on this island, so yeah. he pretty much had her and... Captain Sharp, his dad. And mm. and now we're at a situation where it's looking like he's gonna lose both of these things. Aww. And it's kind of it's kind of terrifying, yeah. Then. And meanwhile, Susie's feeling a lot of pressure to be feeling feelings for this thing for, you know, mm. this person who she cared very much about a long time ago, but who she's also kind of come to acknowledge wants different things.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so Su- at the same time that Susie's that Sam's sort of saying, I don't understand why you had to leave. Susie's kind of saying, well, why did you have to stay? You know, you could have come to New York. You could have found a way to make it work. And they're both expressing that anger and frustration that they haven't had the opportunity to do so. That's kind of uh, built up and built up and built up.
1: I feel like this is the Oscar clip scene. It is. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of, if it's, you know, if it's not
2: giving too much away. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so... I'm presuming a Moonrise Kingdom sequel would get Oscar buzz. I think, yeah. (laughs) Um, But anyway... This is the Wes Anderson
1: film that wins Best Picture. We finally got it. Yes, (laughs) let's
2: do it. But anyway, so Sam and Susie, we eventually... They get all their rage out, Mm -hmm. and they kind of get to the point where it looks like the conversation is turning towards something positive, at which point we cut to Susie putting a letter in the letterbox, very Mm. similarly to how she does... In Moonrise Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And it's addressed to the bed and breakfast that she knows Warren is staying at. Right. And similarly to Moonrise Kingdom, it says, you know, get on this ferry, walk this number of metres due east. You know, similarly to the way that Sam wrote the instructions to Susie in the original film. Mm -hmm. And... She basically leads him back along the Chick Chaw mm-hmm. trail mm-hmm. to Moonrise Kingdom. Slash- she takes
1: war That's her in Sam's place. Yeah. Well, I reject well, again, this.
2: But, you know, they go... You'll see why. Okay, go, no, 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 no I'm, joking, I'm They joking. They go back along that same route, basically, okay. you know, with her leading. Because he's felt all this time like he has to be this you know macho guy who mm-hmm. needs to be able to know all this wilderness stuff and this is her saying actually it's okay i know how to do all of this i see and okay. it's perfect oh you know, i see so yeah. she's now showing that she so she's be, you know. she's effectively being sam okay being sam mm-hmm. and he you know and allowing him to be slightly more uh, vulnerable and mm-hmm. the circumstances and the fact that uh he doesn't know as much no. they get to moonrise kingdom slash mile Tidal inlet, and they take the old canoe Mm -hmm. that they had and were using in the original film, Uh and they paddle out to the the neighbouring island, one of the one of the islands in Black Beacon Sound, where they find their way to the spring. That's at the heart of this legend. So again, I haven't I haven't entirely written the legend, mm-hmm. but it's got something along the lines of, you know, the two young people came to this stream and they drank from it and they uh, found eternal love or something oh, like okay. that. Something, so it, something along those lines. So has it
1: turned out that Warren is actually the right person for her at this time in her life? Is that what so, you're building to?
2: So what it's so what it's building to is Susie now tells Warren the story of the legend right, so okay. we we as the audience know the legend Warren has no idea of this sure, and, sure and this fascinates Warren because Warren's a history person sure, so okay. this story is really is really interesting and he also notes very quickly the part where this sounds exactly like the story with Sam
1: Right. Okay.
2: and what Susie says at the end of telling the story is she's like and I know that that's a legend but that's not what I want
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know you you are what I want. And this life that we have is what I want. And I'm sorry if, you know, for some reason you felt like you needed to be somebody else in order to fit into that. At which point she proposes to him. Oh, okay. And the end of the story, even though it's not it's not entirely... It's not entirely given away that Sam told Susie about this legend.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But it's kind of inferred.
1: So, like, she, he's let her go, He's Yeah, though. he's mm. let
2: her go. You know, they've, they've had oh, this like conversation, mm. they've had it all out, mm-hmm. and even though it's really difficult for both of them, mm. they also acknowledge they're two people who want two very different things, mm-hmm. and, that it's o- and that that's okay. Yeah. And that that doesn't mean that they have to hate each other, mm-hmm. and they can, you know, continue to be friends and continue to be close, but it means that when it comes to love and relationships and, you mm-hmm. know, being together that it's slightly more complicated than that. And the final scene, again, it's very much in the vein of the final scene of Moonrise Kingdom. Juan and Susie are about to head on the ferry back to St. Jack in order to head back to New York. Mm -hmm. And there's a look very similar to the look that Susie and Sam give each other at the end of Moonrise Kingdom Mm. between Sam, who's waiting on the pier, and Susie, who
1: by this point has gotten on the ferry. So maybe a little bit of a hand kiss or something. Yeah, exactly. That's lovely. Um,
2: And that was Moonrise Kingdom beyond the chick chore.
1: Oh, that was lovely. I like the almost beyond the box set thing. Though, yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that was a very. That's, I think that's like a sequel that could genuinely happen, and it's yeah. like very emotionally wise. Mm. Uh, I love that. Oh,
2: know. oh, and that's the other thing. The sorry, the other. Oh, thing ahead, that we, yeah. The other thing that we get is that eventually we learn that the book that mm-hmm. Susie was writing was also called. Beyond the chick Oh,
1: trail. so she's writing her own story. Yeah, similarly
2: so a... to how at yeah. the end we get the reveal the beach was called Moonrise Kingdom.
1: Oh, that's nice. We get
2: the reveal that at the end the book that she was writing which could have been on the legend or it could have been something mm-hmm. else was called Beyond the chick mm-hmm. Chore Trail.
1: Mm-hmm. You should pitch that to Wes Anderson. I mean, that's a, gen- <laughs> that's a genuinely like really good... You know what that reminded me of a little bit actually is... Uh... I can imagine it almost being like the Before Sunrise trilogy. Mm. Have you seen yeah. those movies? Um yeah. You know how it's like this. This is I don't know if you've seen them, Harry. Uh, they're really good. They're beautiful films about. It's about a couple who meet when they're like backpacking in like Europe, and they fall in. They're like a one night together, and they fall in love, and then they, at the end of the film, they don't stay together. The original film, but then mm. set, there's another film seven years later where they meet again, and then they get together properly. And then the third film, seven, they film them like seven years apart, and the third film, it's them at the after they've been married for seven years, and their relationship's breaking down a little bit. And yeah, I, I could well imagine, like every seven years or, so, or however many time, how much time you might want to give it just checking back in with Susie mm. and Sam and seeing where they're at in their lives that could be like a really nice little franchise so. yeah. yeah
2: I also I just the thing is I, as I say I've been watching this film ever since I was 15 like mm. quite regularly and the thing is if you'd asked me to think of a sequel when I was 15 I would have said they stay together and it's a beautiful last yeah, year yeah, yeah. and it's <laughs> great but I think looking at it when I'm 22 and looking at my own experiences there are you know there are people who I have been in love with and cared Mm. about a lot and like you know really you know my heart has bled for not being able to be with them but it just hasn't worked from Mm. a practical perspective from a what we want in a relationship perspective.
1: And because you grow as well. Well
2: exactly and you Mm. develop and the things you want mature and I feel like with a love story like Moonrise Kingdom that's something with a sequel that you also kind of have to take into account and you also have to consider and that you know it's it's okay mm. and for example in in my own romantic development i'm currently with somebody hi melanie um <laughs> who you know again we get each other and mm. we're on the same page as each other and we want the the same things and so even if you don't fall quite as hard as you do the first time because the first time is the first time sure yeah that doesn't mean that you don't find something that's even more beautiful and even more special mm-hmm. later in life
1: oh that's a
0: what a lovely a sentiment good image well
2: yeah. <laughs> leave that on
0: okay well not sure if i can top that but, uh, <laughs> that was a mic <laughs> drop yeah. from finn <laughs> Um, but I will do my best. Okay. So, anyway, this one is called Hunt for Moonrise Kingdom. Hunt for Moonrise Kingdom, right. Like yeah, and it is directed by both Wes Anderson and Taika Waititi. Oh, oh wow. okay. So Hunt for okay. Moonrise Kingdom serves as a sequel to both Moonrise Kingdom and Hunt for the Wilder People. Okay. Ah, okay. Have you awesome. seen that film? I've not, but I will very quickly pick up on what's going on, I'm sure. Okay. Maybe. It's a good you, film. It's you, definitely got similarities you, to You this. have seen this film. It is on my shortlist for Two Geeks, Two movies. They are very similar movies. Okay. yeah, yeah. But they are both like, heights of those director's styles. Okay. Yeah. Like they're very different, but one's a very Wes Anderson film, one's a very Taco film. Yeah. Two directors, I think, actually go hand in hand. In oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Quite,
2: quite I alike. watched Jojo Rabbit and definitely thought this is very much out of the
0: Wes Anderson playbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hunt for the World of People, like, basic plot, it is, it's a kid getting lost in the wilderness. Okay. So, yeah, you know, it's very similar stuff. Okay. So, yeah.
0: yeah. So, anyway, uh, we start in New Zealand okay. um, with uh, Ricky and Heck, which... Uh, Ricky is the main character in um, Humph of the Wilder People. Okay. and The, the kid, he- yeah? Yeah. And uh, Heck is Sam Neil. Yes. Um, he's in it. Yeah. He <laughs> um, plays like
1: the Bruce Willis role of the father figure. Not the okay. father, but the father figure, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Quick plot summary for that one. The two of them, they just live in the woods. They don't, they don't really want to live in civilization anymore. They just go and live in the woods. But mm-hmm. the social services are after him um, because he's yeah. an orphan who shouldn't be just... Yeah, Sam Neill is forest.
1: his foster father in... Um, Huntford the world of yeah. people, isn't here, yes that's so cool. it's literally the same Like yeah. <laughs> in yeah. many ways it's very similar yeah.
0: <laughs> this, this is freaking me out yeah. I need to go watch this yeah. movie yeah. <laughs> if you like Taika Waititi I think you'll. it's really a like very very film. good film yeah. yeah so anyway we start in New Zealand with Ricky and Heck they're still living, living in the bush together that's mm-hmm. The wilderness. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <laughs> Just translating your Australian yeah. slang there. The bush, yeah.
0: New Zealand, job. New Zealand. What well, do they call it? The don't, bush, though? Like... Well, that's what they did in the film, yes. Okay, then they do. Fine, okay. But don't...
1: Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, you're don't right. get
0: New Zealand and Australian mixed sorry, up. they right. on for you. On New Zealand, they will get on New Zealand flights fans and... will <laughs> desert us in their droves, yeah. Man. For whatever reason, they are still running from social services. Okay. But... Uh, they're rushing about more than normal, and in doing so, Hex slips on something and falls down a ravine. Oh no! He lands on a stick, which impales him in the stomach. Oh my god! So it's Sam Neil's dead. It's a bit of a dark start, yeah. Oh, Christ! Sly <laughs> oh, okay. Um, to be
2: fair, I think one of the main differences between Wes Anderson and Taika Waititi is that Taika Waititi is definitely not afraid to shy away from things that might be considered gory. Yeah, no. no. yeah. I could see, I could see that
0: going. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's enough that he's he is going to die, but he's still alive, like for, for now, for a few minutes or something. He's got enough to give some parting words.
1: Sure, uh, in the classic movie tradition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. He'll die when he's finished his speech, yeah. and not a moment <laughs>
0: <laughs> And so I'm I'm not going to try New Zealand accent. I would love it if I could do anything near it, but okay, fine. No. Well, I could give it a
2: go if you liked.
0: <laughs> all Sorry. Right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But don't squall. Just
2: read that top paragraph. This country's against you, Ricky. It'll never accept you for who you are. You should leave and find somewhere better.
3: Very good. When the little oh, cockney
2: in the end, there. Oh. I apologise to all New Zealanders. I do really like accents.
1: Yeah. <laughs> wow, got oh, a Meryl Streep here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so anyway, Heck dies, um, and uh, Ricky buries him and sets off in a homemade canoe and sails off into the sunset. Oh, He's, okay. does he sail from New Zealand to America? <laughs> he just sails
1: off into the sunset. Blimey, okay, sure. Um, I mean, that would be, again, be a Wes Anderson touch if you could, you know, just. This, sure, why not? Yeah.
0: Travel was... by map.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Travel <Yeah>, by <candy>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, also, I looked up the location. It's the other side of. Uh, had, like, it's the east coast of the US sure. north east coast so, <laughs> so, so it's not just like going from Australia across the Pacific which is big enough anyway that's half the world Sure, just going to like California, California Canal, oh, yes. he would need to go all the way around South America first can we
1: do this via a montage of him just like Paddler's Canoe for all these different t-
0: <laughs> <laughs> well basically I've skipped over that bit okay sure yeah um, <laughs> that, that, that's a whole story that is really. it that's a
1: film in itself yes
0: <laughs> so this is basically the intro and then this is where you'd get the credits hunt for Moonrise Kingdom sure um, I'm still imagining that canoe right I'm sorry. Carry <laughs> on.
2: So. What is he eating for? I know!
1: Does he, does he arrive like super emaciated? Because he's, he's quite a chubby kid in the original. Anyway. <laughs> but,
0: come on. Come sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, you start started strong though. I'm John. <laughs> Five years later, um, we pick up with Sam and Susie. Okay. okay. So they're both about 20 now whatever. Okay. And uh, they aren't together as a couple, but they're both. They're both just friends. Sure, okay, They're okay. very close friends and single. There's nobody, nobody else going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. They're essentially a couple, but not really. I
1: see. They're platonic besties. Yeah, they've, they've yeah. evolved into that. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah.
0: Um, every now and then, when life gets hard for them with whatever it is that they're doing, they go down to the cove, they pitch a tent and just have a weekend with each other. Oh, okay, it's nice. Um, there are hints of romance, but nothing's actually going on. Mm-hmm. On one of these days, uh, they're pitching up their tent. They notice something out at sea. Oh, my God. The boat? <laughs> the boat on the horizon. <laughs> this has gone very horror, very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> they, they can't quite make out what it is. And as it drifts closer, they see that it's a raft mm. made of latched together logs. Oh, my God.
2: <laughs>
0: so, please,
2: <so>, Oh, God.
0: <laughs> uh, Sam and Susie, they swim out to go and uh, bring it to shore. And uh, as they get closer to it, they can see that they're, they're, there's a fat guy on it, uh, passed out and holding a volleyball over the face. Oh my god!
1: He's, so he's not even lost any weight, despite the fact that he's been like stranded on a raft for five years.
0: I mean, one thing I noticed in Hump for the Wilder People is that it takes place over like two years, and he's just sure. living off the forest. He Hang maintains on. that weight. Oh, that's true. And so yeah. I thought, like, sure, Wait, this whatever. wasn't
2: even a canoe. This was a
0: raft out of logs. Yeah, Did I just missed nah. that. No. Oh god. Oh, no, we skipped it. It's been five years. He's, so he's, not he's not been through several boats, I'd imagine. This and... poor child. Yeah. So, okay, so my health and safety <laughs> is going wild. There's a, there's a lot that might have gone on in the in the five years when you okay. set off on a canoe. But it's a, cla- canoe. again, it's, I keep saying it. I think
1: it is classic Wes Anderson to have like this whole backstory that they just don't address. It's like well, all this there's all this stuff in the past. Like like yeah. Margot's backstory in The Royal Tenenbaums, it's hinted at but never really explained. So okay, yeah. fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I apologise, No, 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 no. I'm just <laughs> saying like this. This, this it tracks.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, when they get to shore. Um, Sam feels his neck for a pulse. He's alive. What should we do? <laughs> and Susie says, get him some water. So they get him a drink and they pour a little down his throat. He immediately coughs and wakes up. Mm. He opens his eyes and looks at Sam and Susie leaning over him. I'm imagining a very Wes Anderson sort of looking up shot. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. symmetry yeah. going on and all sorts. Mm-hmm. He takes a second and then he screams, looks around for his volley- volleyball, shouts, ZOGA At it. Grabs it. And crouches down defensively.
1: Is Zogger his Wilson, essentially? Yeah. Where did Zogger come from? I made it up. Just a random word. It's not a New Zealand slang word or anything now? Nope. Zogger. Okay. So, random word. To, to, to be honest,
0: I was trying to look for a New Zealand name that would work really well. Yeah. I looked through the cast, to hunt for the wilder people. There's somebody called Zog. Oh, okay, thought, fine. There it is. Fine, okay. Zogger. <laughs> okay. You're right there, Finn. Again, New Zealanders, please. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> forgive us, yeah. Don't worry, we're, we're friendly. My name is Susie. His name's Sam. What's yours? Uh Ricky, who are you? Where am I? I love it when you write scripts. For your it's brilliant. <laughs> like Susie said, we're, we're Sam and Susie, and you're in New Penzance, a small island in Massachusetts. I'm in America? <laughs> yes. Why? Where, where are you from? I'm a Kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no! now you've gone to try the New Zealand accent. Yeah, you, it's, it's, it's going for it. It's yeah. creeping in. Yeah. It's, it's creeping, isn't it? <laughs> they both get blank stares. I'm, I'm from New Zealand. So Ricky goes back to the boat. Come on, Zogger. Let's go somewhere close at home. And so they stop him, convince him to stay. And they say, there's a town nearby that he can stay at and get food. Mm-hmm. He says he'd prefer to camp. He doesn't like civilization. He likes to live in the bush.
1: Has he become a bit of a crazy, kind of crazed castaway figure? Is oh, that yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah.
0: And so they agree to stay in the bay and, and camp there with him. Okay. That's what I've got so far. Where are we going with this? Okay,
1: so you've got, you've got a premise. Yeah. Okay, so... So he's a full Tom Hanks at the end of Castaway kind yep. of moment.
0: Um and the, so they him saying he's 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 got his volleyball, um, mm-hmm. called Zogger okay. who by the way, at some point in this, I would like to be played by Terkel Battiti. Sure. He's the, he's yeah, the yeah, volleyball. volleyball. <laughs> okay. Like, is it his face, like, CGI'd onto the ball? Oh,
1: at times, yeah. yeah okay, exactly. oh, I like that. That's, that's good. so good. freaky. <laughs> that, okay. Well, I think this is really good because I think that Sam, Sam and Susie, well, Sam in particular, is mm. in the original film, is so practically minded and, you know, he's very, you know, he likes to take things on. So I, I, the idea of him and Susie having to, like, Deprogram, you mm. know, some someone who's like this wild man of the, who's like been through this traumatic experience mm-hmm. who is completely outside of civilization. Mm. The kind of way that they would deprogram him and like get him back into c- c- civilization, but very much their version of civilization, not like actual, you know. Yeah. It's not like he's landed in New York, you know, he's landed it in, 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 in what is in itself quite a self contained and slightly mm-hmm. odd community. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that of deprogramming somebody, but also in, inducting them into this strange what world of scout i'm i'm guessing he's going to join the scouts no, that, that's how he's yeah, going to the bring it yeah
0: do you think he would be the best scout
1: right, well i think it would be a good a comfortable middle ground for him because he's not ready to go back into, like, civilization being, like, you know, domesticity. Mm-hmm. He likes to be outdoors. Yep. So this, this, this actually could work really well for him. It's like, okay, well, don't sail off again into the you might die. Come, come, to, <laughs> come to the scout camp, and you can still live outdoors, but you can still be with people, and you can reintegrate. And, mm-hmm. and I think it'd be really fun to see all the scout kids, mm-hmm. you know, again, we can get into the, the irresponsible scout leadership of it all. Mm-hmm. All those scout kids, obviously it's a new generation now, it's been five years, yeah. interacting with this crazed wild man who's, like, suddenly become, like, an adult scout in their midst. Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just getting them into all sorts of additional scrapes so <laughs> like he's definitely up that treehouse you know yeah so yeah, i think i think there's i think, I think there's definitely stuff you could do there yeah. i'm guess- just thinking if it's been five years what if,
2: where are the authorities now mm. so if they like acknowledge that he went off in a raft
0: mm-hmm. into the middle of nowhere and then no one heard from him, so they just presume he's dead well yeah so i would say that he he presumed dead okay but then when he arrives at this island and you know, he he joins the the scout camp mm-hmm. um, maybe he actually progresses to scout leader yeah maybe he really thrives he, in this community because yeah. like yeah he's, he li- he lived in the um in the new zealand forest or whatever yeah. um for like a number of years yeah. and survived in that very well mm-hmm. so he's probably learned loads mm-hmm. uh and now he's just survived on a boat for about 5 years mhm um, or on a desert island or something. We don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he picked up some skills. That's for certain. Yeah. So yeah, he could definitely be the leader of that. <laughs> I'd say that when he does become that, it becomes a bit more of a um, a story that gets into news. Right. Just okay. like oh, this guy Ricky, he, uh, um, he 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 just showed up on a beach Maybe, one day but... and he just came this. Okay, okay. And so then I would like that to become a bit more. Well, if it becomes a news story, <laughs> then that could attract. New Zealand's version of social services. Oh, I see. Is he st- which, of course, is actually a character in Hump for the World of People. Ah, not okay. called social services. No, no okay.
1: No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Again, lots of crossovers. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, then i like
0: the two social services to maybe two. Okay. Up.
1: So, I think what might be fun is similar to my one where if you want to bring Lucas Hedges back in, maybe mm. he is now a journalist working for the mm. main, Ooh, probably yes. the only newspaper on this oh, tiny yeah. island. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, again, he's still got his resentments against uh, Sam, but also... I'm imagining it's quite a slow news island, you know, mm. like maybe he never gets a story. So maybe this becomes, he becomes obsessed with this story. Like this wild man's landed on a raft and now he's, in, and he like pursues it and mm. publicizes it much, and much, much, much against, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Ricky. Ricky much against Ricky's wishes and much against Sam and Susie's wishes mm-hmm. he really publicises the story and attracts the attention of the New Zealand media mm-hmm. and it becomes like it brings the global media because you know man sails for five years that's mm-hmm. a great story the whole the eyes of the world suddenly land on this very enclosed mm-hmm. it's it's almost like a little bit meta like writing outside of the Wes Anderson thing where all of his films are very self-contained these people who like live outside the real world suddenly the real world invades mm-hmm. and there's suddenly there's this whole media story about this, and all he wants to do is like live quietly and be a scout leader mm-hmm. and all this like international attention freaks them out yeah that yeah. could be really good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah
0: and yeah, no, I would really like that and yeah. I could see it that the end of the film happens with the three of them just sailing away off the island they decide to find a new home yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that but m- m- maybe Ricky's like I know a place yeah and it's just like it's, it's an island in the, the, the middle of the of ocean yeah the three of them
1: sail off for a new adventure that could work yeah,
2: yeah. I like the yeah. idea that New Zealand social services figure out where he is mm. very quickly but that about half the film are just silly bureaucratic arguments with American <laughs> social services yes, that's yeah. his responsibility the kid
1: is and mm. so they actually get to actually making it to New Penzance mm-hmm. yeah that could be really good definitely guess some good good phone conversations with Tilda yeah because
0: yeah, to be honest those two characters well, those two, not actors, dis- not those, dis- those two actors would be really great on screen. I together. could imagine that very well. Yeah. yeah, and there'd be some proper good arguments. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I think I think we've got something there. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hunt for Moonrise Kingdom.
1: Hunt for Moonrise Kingdom, directed
0: nice. by both Taika Waititi and Wes Anderson. Yeah. See, <laughs> you know when, what? I would like to see director collaborations like that
1: more often. Yeah, it's it's not common, is it? I can't really think of any examples. Often you'll have a director and a producer. Like oh, yeah. it'll be directed by X, and like you know how the joke how Joker was directed by. Todd Phillips, but produced mm. by Martin Scorsese, like so you'll have like a two hander kind of thing. Was it produced by him, yeah. It was it? Yeah, despite the fact that he moaned about Marvel films, but yeah. yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but yes, he did. I don't, I don't know, not Marvel, but mm. yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not good I, it? I, I, I've learned to let it go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, yes. Yeah, so that happens. But you write like actual directorial. Apart from like ones that always direct together, like the Coen brothers, yeah, the like Russo brothers. S- siblings, quite yeah. often, yeah. But you never... Yeah, it's very rare to see two directors just co-direct a film. Yeah. Uh, AI, Steven Spielberg and Stanley Kubik. That was because he yeah. died, though. It wasn't like they were doing it together, but Kubik died and Spielberg took uh, over.
0: What about uh, Robert Rodriguez and uh, Quentin Tarantino? Yeah,
1: that's a good one. But isn't it more that they did two separate films and put them together?
0: Yeah. They didn't do, like, a single one. They, they, yeah, yeah, I think that's right, yeah. yeah. I think they, part... they, they collaborate a bit, but I'm not sure if they both being a director of Mm. a single film yeah
2: yeah i think part of the problem is i mean certainly speaking from a theater perspective Mm. as a director you want full creative control Mm -hmm. over what you do so if you're at all an established director and you can prove at all that what you're doing is vaguely credible Mm. the likelihood that you would ever cede that power Mm -hmm. Especially with people like Taika Waititi and Wes Anderson, where they have such specific creative visions. Mm. I mean, I'd like
0: to see it. Oh, I feel like they could go hand in hand, though, and they Maybe. don't. They, they don't clash. It's not like picturing Wes Anderson with Tarantino. No, that's true. <laughs> no, that's true.
2: No, I'm. Not, I'm just explaining why I don't think it happens as as yeah. much as yeah, okay, it probably yeah. could. Is you know.
1: <laughs> okay, so I guess those are our sequel pictures. Should we move on to
0: listener submissions? Yeah, Ooh. let's...
1: Ooh, always fun. So, I have been excited for these for a long time. <laughs> some, I've got some good ones. I don't know about Harry, but... All right,
0: I've got a few here. Now, as always, there are a, there are a few that are just opinions. Sure, yeah. And um, just people's reviews, which is always fair. Mm-hmm. So, first up, we have the wor- most difficult name in the world. Okay. Go on, do your Shall best. i give it a
2: game with one of my accents. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah you know what if you could yeah. <laughs> um, let's see that, what that, it that, is that comment at the bottom there. the comment at the
2: bottom right I am going with Te Wairangi Ratana
1: there we go oh, oh, you, like, you, you do ma- do. make it sound very good okay
0: <laughs> Well, I've lived in Indonesia you get used okay. to saying complicated names uh, well he she or they have said <laughs> 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 um, have said Sunset Palace Sunset Palace nice lovely, yeah lovely yeah. Um, that's that one out of the way. <laughs> See how many other people go for that. Yeah, Sean. Br-
1: oh my god! Uh, here we go
0: again. Uh, Sean Broussard, <laughs> uh, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou.
1: Oh, that's the other. Uh, that's another Wes Anderson movie. Is that, is that all his pitch? Just that they wait. The is same? it just?
0: Is that literally the name of? The that film? is literally the
1: name of the movie. But it
2: doesn't even work from a timeline perspective.
0: Well, the same person has said. Okay. Uh, after in another comment, mm-hmm. whereas Anderson's work is apart from adaptations and commercials, all driving at the same core themes in a way that makes sequelizing, prequelizing wholly unnecessary. Wow. Cheers, man. What a bird. That's fine. <laughs> Th- these are people from different walks of life, dealing with the same problems of love and rejection, self-worth and ego, the denial, then acceptance of grief. They are all retelling some refinement of his view on a human struggle. <laughs> this guy sounds like a blast. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't true for all, or even most, uh, writers-directors, but he's 100% doing his thing thematically, in a way that gets overlooked, um, due to him doing his thing one hundred and ten percent visually,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he's also said, still looking forward to the best pun-based comments though. Okay, well, fair enough. He's got to, you know, he, he, give, he, he, give, he his, two, give his two cents. You, in the latter, me but also enjoy outside the later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel like he's like one of those guys who goes to like. Uh, conventions and goes this isn't really as much a question as a comment <laughs>
0: <laughs> we all know that there we go wow um, listeners if you'd like to submit ideas we may roast you just like this <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay next one up I could read this name Fraser Robert Scott says Moonset Kingdom. Mo- what? what? Moonset Kingdom. Moonset Kingdom. I thought you said something else for a second there.
1: Mumsnet Kingdom. <laughs> no, something else. Oh, really? Okay. Um, we'll talk later. Okay, we'll yeah. draw a veil over that for <laughs> Does the moon set? I've never heard that phrase, moonset. I guess it must. It you rises and it, it sets. It sets so. Yeah. Okay, fine. I've never heard the phrase moonset. set as one word. Like, you never say, oh, what a lovely moon set. You know? but, but have
0: you ever heard, oh, what a lovely moonrise"? Yeah. People say that sometimes. I don't know. Carry on. Who cares? You're <laughs> weird. Um, okay, last one I've got here. Um, it's just a little review. Um, uh, Gonzalo Rodriguez says, "Of all of Wes Anderson's movies, I feel like this one doesn't get enough recognition. It's very cute." Thank oh, you. There we go.
2: Thank you. I tell everyone this. Yeah. yeah.
0: Very good. Yeah, okay. I some as well. Yeah.
1: Very good. Uh, Matthew Brown said, "Sunset fifedom We've got a lot of puns on the names, obviously. <laughs> Great. Uh, Stuart Gipps said Moonrise Kingdom to Moonfall. Sure. Robert Hamilton said Moonrise Kingdom, The Rising Tides of Fear. <laughs> <laughs> that's the horror remake. Yeah, that's the horror remake. <laughs> uh, Ryan Kleemer had the same thought process as me, because he said Before Moonrise. So, you know, Before Sunset, Before Moonrise. Ah, so, oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Uh, Drew Mancini did the classic Two Moonrise, Two Kingdom. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice, nice nice, Moonrise Kingdom 2 Electric yeah. Boogaloo yeah, yeah.
1: Me on there. <laughs> oh, Ryan Cleo had a second one he also said Moonrise Kingdom 2 The Last Boy Scout starring Bruce Willis oh yeah, yeah. okay Brian Hunt said just a remake of Mad Max Fury Road but with these kids oh. <laughs> oh oh how did that work <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: uh, Connor Crehan said Moonrise Constitutional Monarchy so similar to my title but yeah and finally my personal favourites Mike Saines said Moonrise Kingdom 2 Battle Royale <laughs> Nice, nice Dark Wow So thank you everybody for those sequel ideas We ask for your listener submissions every week A few days before we record By putting posts out on Facebook and Twitter Where you can post your ideas So make sure you like and follow our pages If you don't want to miss out to listen to more episodes of Beyond the Box Set, you can subscribe and browse our back catalogue on any podcasting platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and many others. And don't forget, if you have the time, please do leave a five-star review or a four-star or three-star review. Just leave a review. Yeah. Uh, oh, five stars, oh, no, are five stars, yeah. and they deserve it, lads. Come on, yeah. We thank you. We do, uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah. So yes, please do. It really helps us out in terms of visibility, getting up the old iTunes rankings. So and just recommend it to a friend. You know, just tell the world.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we're also available on Patreon, which is exclusively for the kind of people who would definitely leave us a five-star review or higher if they could and you, such as Finn. <laughs> and you can find all those links in the description below or at beyondtheboxset.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you Finn once again for coming on and joining us on this episode. Pleasure Finn,
2: pleasure coming down to glorious old Leeds. Yeah,
1: and for bringing a fabulous movie that was a great great fun to discuss. Yeah. Uh, so
0: before I reveal what next week's film is going to be, do you want to just plug yourself a little bit uh, okay. one, one, one last time right I'll go really quickly
2: um, I run a company in Edinburgh called Island Life Productions we work with emerging artists and members of the public to create high quality art that is rooted in the Edinburgh community we currently have a podcast out called Passport People in which I talk to people from around the world about the places that matter to them uh, in about a month's time if you look on iTunes it might be four to six weeks but if you look on iTunes you will also find a podcast called Welcome to the Quids Inn which is a fictional podcast that I'm making with a group of theatre people up in Edinburgh about uh, five young people who get simultaneously hired as reception staff at the Edinburgh branch of a fictional chain of budget hotels. So go check that out because that's going to be good fun. Um, And we are also planning to launch a Patreon page and thing around uh, April, May sort of time that is basically saying, don't just support the work that we're doing, but support emerging artists, support uh, work being rooted in uh, your local community and support, bringing the art and bringing it back into the control of us the audience and the people who love the art which is what a patreon does and be what wonderful podcasts such as the one that you're currently listening to
1: always strive to do oh fantastic that sounds like an amazing project so please <laughs> do make sure when that's available let me know and i'll make sure that we Promote that far and wide.
0: Plug. Plug. (laughs) This guy's a really good guest.
1: I know. (laughs) We need need, need, need to get him back. You can come back, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll come to Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, hey. Any excuse to go to Edinburgh. Please do. Please do. I'd
0: love to have you. Cool. This time next year. Right, Harry, what have you got for me? Okay, so next week um, we have another guest.
1: Oh, we do? This is news to me, okay. In spirit. Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) We are going to be joined by one of the greatest actors of all time. Uh Uh-huh. We're going to be joined by Dwayne the Rock Johnson in oh spirit. Oh dear! What,
1: what have you got? <laughs> What are we doing? I mean, I like it. I don't know why I'm saying oh dear. I like...
0: Okay. Well, I've been having a bit of, a, a, like a, like a rough week, so I really feel like I just need something a bit upbeat just to get me right in there. Okay. Something that I can be really really engaged with. Next week we're doing Skyscraper.
1: Oh, the classic. Yeah. <laughs> the first film. I've, I've, the first film. I think that Harry, much to my horror, gave ten out of ten to on our bonus. <laughs> A literal, per- apparently a literal <laughs> perfect movie according to Alex. So, um, <laughs>
0: Okay, I, I actually I look forward to revisiting it Yeah, yeah. So yeah, join us next week for Skyscraper everybody this is going to be something That's going to be that's going to be fun I look yeah. forward to it Okay, yeah. cool so, thank By you. the way, this is also not fun you need to watch in advance I mean, no, please do it's great but also you, you already know the entire movie You've part. already seen the movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you've seen
1: a movie you've seen the movie yeah. um, Great, so thank you once again, Finn um, thank you. And uh, thank you, Harry. Thank you. And uh, yes, please join us next week, listeners, for Skyscraper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Right. Bye.
3: Bye. I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about.